0: Chase Thomas podca- The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, <laughs> my nephew needs me to course. See, I, hate, I already hate it.
1: I hate it. All right. Hello. And welcome back to a Thursday evening edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and it's Thursday night, and that means college football on this very podcast with fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you?
2: Good evening, sir. It is good to be back every day is thursday uh when it's college football season and uh just uh, excited for football to be back
1: burp, 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 burp. did you see that uh Alante taylor gonna... rocky top remix that he posted i think no, i retweeted I it last night
2: i have not seen that
1: it got me vibing we have Smokey on the on the social media channels today for national dog day i uh back on campus Campus I bet is it's not as
2: good as when Jake Fromm sang Rocky Top though. That was that was a good moment.
1: Why do you want to hurt me?
2: <laughs> it's SEC preview, man. I'm uh I'm am feeling it. I'm in the zone now. It's college it's talking season.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're here. Week zero on on the table. We have real football to talk about, even though Hawaii will not have fans this weekend for their opener unfortunately but you you've been waiting more for the hawaii season to kick off than any other program right
2: well yeah exactly i mean what what other teams are you even planning on watching other than the uh, the rainbow warriors
1: i mean absolutely absolutely um matt what's new with you you got the dogs in the studio this evening at zeus and maddox what did you do yeah. for them for for national dog day
2: um I, I post them on Instagram. Does that kinda of doing something for them? That no. Was, uh, that was uh, something I did for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, uh, the, the fiance is, is out of town currently, so I got the house to myself. So I've fed them and walked them, and so that's about all you can ask for, you know? And then these guys got the run of the house, so really, they should be thanking me just for uh, putting, putting food on the table
1: no they shouldn't because i've seen what your girlfriend does for their food did you put together the exquisite instagram friendly meals did you did she show you how to do it
2: i didn't make it as instagram friendly but she she did like (laughs) like make like a thing like a Mm -hmm. just like she'll she'll make it's got like rice and like different vegetables and all this stuff and it's just kind of like prepped food that she can just kind of like put on top of their kibble for like a week straight essentially so she like made that for me to use so i just like put a cup of it on on top of their kibble it's like a little something extra got, got some brussels sprouts you know kind of sprinkling them around so I, I gave them a little something i, I didn't want them to to uh, lose that that the great uh gourmet meal they get
1: just to be clear your dogs are eating brussels sprouts
2: yeah, they do. My I Tory literally just, I think a long time ago, just Googled like whatever, like what are you allowed to feed dogs? You know, <laughs> like things like grapes and stuff that you like aren't supposed to feed them. You know, chocolate or something. And She essentially just found anything she can feed a dog. Like she'll she'll feed up to them. So it's like we have vegetables in our fridge that we don't even really eat. But I mean, I guess she'll eat some Brussels sprouts. I'm not eating Brussels sprouts, but what uh,
1: is your vegetable there. of choice?
2: I mean, I go, I'll eat some broccoli, some carrots, you know, onions, and peppers. Like I'll eat some, I'll eat some vegetable potatoes, if that even counts as a vegetable, but more of a carb. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll eat some vegetables, but I'm not, uh, I eat some of those. I'm pretty minimal when it comes to vegetables, but I, I took care of their dinner for sure.
1: Hmm. So when you, are you very, are you a picky eater?
2: yeah I would say I probably classify as a picky eater.
1: I'm a picky eater too. i just never I've only eaten with you once in my life i think Matt so I have to think about <laughs> Is it. Is
2: that right what, Where do we eat wendy's ah uh, i went frequented the wendy's at uh off what what were they? Monday mill Road
1: yes, it was like kind yeah, of off by time. the 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 car shop. It was before we got to the barbecue place they that you recommended. They
2: actually made another Wendy's. They built a, a newer Wendy's that's, like, the new model Wendy's, actually, after you left.
1: Really? Uh,
2: yeah. You know over, like, where the Walmart is? And I was, like, mm-hmm. a Pizza Hut? They built yeah. it, like, over on that on that part. And, like, it's weird how these, like, Arby's and Wendy's, they just, like, Taco Bell, they just tear it down and just build a a different-looking building. And now it's, like... Now it's a, a fast, casual place to eat. Like, it's, it's the same food, but the building looks nicer and sleeker, so you feel more obligated to go there. Mm. Do you feel that
1: way? Do, do I feel that way now, or did I?
2: Like, it's an entire business model. Like, on these kids, like Chipotle and stuff, like, not getting too into it, but these, like, fast, casual places. Taco Bell and Wendy's and Arby's are just changing their look to look like those places, but they're not actually changing their food and it's like working too. It's kind of crazy.
1: Yeah, I guess. I don't I don't really eat a lot of fast food though, so I don't really pay attention to, I, I don't know, I don't I don't really notice it. I would notice Dunkin' if that was changing. I don't think I've noticed it. The only thing Dunkin's changed really is they dropped the Dunkin' Donuts. Like they really just want to be Dunkin'. Which probably and they
2: even have some of those kind of newer, sleeker-looking stores too. You know what I'm talking about? I don't. I drive all around the suburbs, so maybe I'm just seeing uh, maybe I'm seeing more of these uh, these chains than you are. Mm. Maybe a lot about this.
1: <laughs> what is your? Uh, we've got game day coming up on this weekend. We have real college football kicking off at noon. I am
2: yeah. They're in Atlanta, right?
1: Say, oh yeah, because it's the HBCU game, HBCU right? HBCU
2: game, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not sure who's playing it exactly, but uh, it should be. Actually, it it's just exciting at football.
1: Yeah, for sure. And we've got Nebraska and Illinois at noon. Brett Bealma's return, Scott Frost, Adrian Martinez, Brandon Peters in year 17 in college football. Like it's it's a lot, man. I'm just excited because we're gonna have games all throughout the day. And it's just a nice little kickoff. We got Tennessee football. Hey, guess what this we're gonna have to change our recording time next week. Do you know why, Matt green?
2: Oh man, we got a uh, we got Tennessee Bowling Green next Thursday, huh?
1: Yes, we do next Thursday night, so we're gonna have to probably figure out our recording schedule for for next week. But um, true. yeah, I will be in Nealon for that. It's gonna be exciting. Joe Milton, the Joe Milton era kicking off for the balls. This point by the way
2: it's uh alcorn state and uh you and nc central okay so that's who's playing in game day and I think game day what was it centennial park or something
1: possibly i'm not sure i didn't look i didn't look um i'm not uh i don't know game day's gonna be isn't corso back didn't they announce that corso will be back for this fall
2: um yeah and i feel like it's a bad decision man I feel like last year was Corso's best year in, like, maybe like a decade, honestly. It was like, what is it, a three-hour program, right? And you you could ch- you probably went to him for, like, 30 total minutes throughout, but it would just be in little five-minute increments, you know? And I feel like he had a prompter, he had a, a normal environment, like a controlled environment, and I feel like he seemed sharper and, like, more prepared than he has like in years, I'm sure he wants to go to the campuses because like that's fun, traveling, being out there with the fans. But I feel like he just—I don't know—it's not his element. It shows how he shows how old he is, honestly. When he's when he's on uh, when they give him too much time, not like Bash and Lee Corso, but these are just the realities.
1: That's true. I'm just happy to have Gain day back. I, that, that's more than anything. So. It's just going to be nice to have that back on my Saturday mornings. Um, Matt Green. There was a announcement of sorts between the Pac-12, the ACC, and the Big Ten. And it's a whole lot of nothing. Essentially, this boils down to nothing in writing, which is always a bad th- bad sign when they can't get anything in writing. But also they just agreed not to stab each other in the back basically and they're gonna play some games with each other and they're gonna schedule and help each other out and they're aligned because they they are aligned academically aligned with their vision for college sports and just what they want college sports to be i mean i guess this is all fine but this didn't change anything and now, with the Pac-12 coming out this, uh, really this afternoon, that they're not planning to expand with their new AD. And that was the other big point of this, too, is I think the reason that those three school uh, conferences got together is because all three conferences have new ADs, so they're all trying to get on the same page with each other and figure out where they all are. And I think they probably want to calm down, realignment and everything. So I I'm interested now, because the Big 12 is running out of options, and I think... One of the things that I'm seeing a lot of is now the college football playoff expansion might be in doubt with West Virginia's president saying he's going to vote against it. Um, That's a possibility that we have to look at. But what I think is going to happen now, there is so much pressure on the Big 12. And I think the only way to get them to expand and to fix this and to do something with the AAC is I think it's not going to be Sankey, but the college football playoff committee has to come out and say, once Texas and OU leaves, big 12 loses its power five automatic bid status like that's the only way to like well
2: but to be fair they didn't mm-hmm. in that expanded playoff model they didn't actually have an automatic bid for power five conferences you it's heavily it implied just, they took the top six conference champions yeah so coastal carolina and cincinnati can qualify in that formula you know what i mean but um, I want to go back to what you said at the start of nothing being signed or anything. I just feel like this has just disaster written all over it. like like college football fans like I think we all know a verbal commitment you know that's yeah. rock solid right No one ever changes a verbal commitment. So it's 2021 like unfortunately an eye to eye agreement, handshake agreement, whatever you want to call it, that's just not really good enough, and so it, it just brings me to just wonder what the alliance even means, you know. And I'm in hearing the West Virginia. It was the West Virginia athletic director that said that, right, about the the playoff being like on life support. I think he's the
1: president, change. not the athletic director. The
2: pres president. Okay, it's like to hear someone say something like that. It it made my mind just start start going in a hundred different directions because what is this Alliance really going to do? Like, so it's not clearly like right after they announced the Alliance, we get a USC LSU neutral site game in Las Vegas. So clearly it doesn't mean you're only going to play each other at a conference. So it's not about scheduling. The sec can continue to play all these teams that are involved in the Alliance. So is it, is it going to influence the, the playoff? Like is, Like if we're if we have a a committee here and they're all kind of holding each other's back, are they are they going to vote in that Pac-12 champion, that Big Ten champion that is is equal to the SEC, the second team kind of the SEC because they're all in an alliance here? Like it just it sounds a little shady to me. Like I know on one on one eye on one stance, it's probably just like we're not going to cannibalize each other's conferences. Right. Like we're just not going to poach each other. Like maybe like the Pac-12 said they're not gonna expand, but maybe the Big Ten and ACC feel the same way. Maybe none of those Big Twelve or AAC teams are are attractive enough to want them to expand. But I just have to wonder what what the alliance really means if it's not scheduling. Like, is it just gonna is it just gonna be like three conferences just kind of? voting anti SEC legislation like every every time they get us like a, get a chance?
1: I don't know. Do you have the answer?
2: Like I just I yeah, that's what I I really wonder because the playoff we people have already kind of speculated about the playoff. Like not I'm not I'm not saying anyone in playoff history has like done anything shady. But I remember there was one year where Georgia got left out and the Georgia Tech and Florida ADs were both on the committee and people being like oh this is a conflict of interest and while I'm sure they still made you know what they thought was the right decision not based on rivalries these college football like hatred and just like just views of superiority just goes so deep and I think that's like kind of the biggest problem with college football is that it's so much of it is, is, is based on what people think and not really just what happens on the field is it just breeds this hatred and just arguing of everyone, every decade, you know, like guys are salty about Notre Dame cause they beat them four decades ago. You know, it's like, if you watch college basketball, you know, talking heads, they seem to just everyone talk. Oh yeah, they're, they, this team can play, you know, they, they got, and they just talk about the team and their attributes. And it could be because they feel comfortable and not they don't need to argue because it's going to be decided on the court. You know, it's like in college football, these talking heads actually influence the polls and they influence and the polls influence who's getting in these big games and in these championship games in the playoff. And it's just that's why I was so in favor of an expanded playoff just to take power away from people's opinions because. At the end of the day, opinions just don't really matter. We don't know what's going to happen. We just—I don't know. I went on a long thing there, but you—you're you, picking up what I'm putting down.
1: Yeah, I—I I don't know what's going to happen though. What do you think ultimately is going to happen here? And I think, too, Matt, what I had written down when I was thinking about this, when I was listening to it, was that like I—I I love the na- naivete of these new ads and the ACC the big 10 and um the pac 12 which is this guy won't stab me in the back because we we all came together and we're on the same page um what they don't know is greg sankey who as i continue to ensure that this man never agrees to appear on this podcast um sat (laughs) in a room went talking playoff expansion with bob bowlsby knowing full well he was trying to pull and destroy his conference behind his back like that is something that was actively happening and he sat there and said nothing and just continued on with business as usual like it's just business ultimately that's what it is but it cost the reputation of oklahoma's ad it cost the reputation of Texas's ad it cost the reputation of sankey's ad but he doesn't care because it helps the sec it helps the bottom line it has conferences like the big 10 the pac 12 and the acc scrambling to do this alliance because they're like hey see we can come together it's like this weird response to the sec and what's interesting too is what i've seen from sec fans just scrolling through social media and stuff is that they they thought it was funny to see oh look at all these lesser conferences having to come together for these lame agreements and all this kind of stuff i'm like well hold on are you are you proud of what the sec has done here are you proud of?" Pulling Texas and Oklahoma, are you proud of doing it in the way that they did it? Like, are you happy about this situation? Are you happy about expansion? Are you happy about your team not like making it that much more difficult for you to ever have a fighting chance in this conference? There's no point in Vanderbilt playing like football in the SEC anymore. <laughs> like, there's no point. That like, there's true there's no point. Kentucky, out thing, here. Yeah,
2: that's one reason I'm a little like you know, I kind of go back and forth with the alliance because. You know, if it's just to kind of bring stability to college football, like I'm for it. You yes. Know? Like I don't want all these conferences just shifting all around and everything. And just and put West it in Virginia, writing, make a
1: contract, make it expensive as you know what yeah. to get out of this.
2: But and so I, I, you know, these teams in the Big Twelve, you know, who's the best brand in the Big Twelve? Like West Virginia is the one that people always talk about. Wait, really leftover? Yeah. Like, mm. I think it's really just because of the geography. Is like they seem so out of place in the Big Twelve. They could fit in in the Big Ten or the ACC. But like,
1: I mean, Kansas like is probably. State.
2: I guess Kansas has basketball that's right. super strong. But you know, Baylor. I mean, obviously, Baylor no, has it's a not Baylor.
1: Yeah, I don't know. But, I they're small. But that's what
2: I mean. Like TCU is in Dallas. Like that's or Fort
1: Worth. But like that's nice. Oklahoma State seems like the most kind of cachet in football like they seem it's probably West Virginia I think you're right the first time I think it's West Virginia because I think they're the only team that the ACC would pull like
2: the Oklahoma West... State seems pretty solid though but yeah yeah I don't know West Virginia fits sorry to see what you're saying
1: no that's what I'm saying yeah I agree with you I just think West Virginia is probably if we do up like bottom to top like as a whole the health the program the size of the university that sort of thing I would probably say West Virginia makes the most sense
2: I would say, just because of like how these expansions always work. Granted, we don't even know if any more expansions going to happen, but it seems like the TD markets are what tend to drive these decisions. Mm-hmm. I would have to think a team in Texas has to be the most valuable. Like, you know, the ACC getting their their footprint in Texas or the Big Ten getting a footprint in Texas. I would think, you know, for that reason, TCU or maybe Baylor. Might be the most attractive. But it's also like something's got to happen with the, the American. I know we joked earlier today, the big American athletic conference. Uh, if the Big 12 and the American can just merge together somehow, mm-hmm. it, it would be a giant conference. I mean, what do they already have? They already have 12, or I think they have 14 in the American, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, you would split off some of the American anyway. Like, you would split some of it off. But the problem with this is that only works if the Pac 12 takes some. And they've already said they're not but expanding. But if
2: you split off from the American, then it's really the Big 12 is taking the American more than the American taking the Big 12. And at this point, I think the American kind of has more leverage. Yeah. So it's tough. Like, you're like, hey, everyone. It's like the the scene out of uh, semi-pro, you know. We're merging with the NBA. <laughs> oh, they're actually only taking the top four teams. Um, but yeah, it's like, Oh, we're merging with the big 12. Oh yeah. But, um, Tulane and SMU, we actually don't want you guys. It's, you know, I obviously I'm not, there's just the first two teams that came to my head. Who, who gets left out if you, if if you're, uh, if you're merging Tulsa, I don't Tulsa,
1: know. probably, um, UConn He's... cause they're in basketball yeah. temple oh. probably. UConn, if UConn got left... Actually, college, Eastern Carolina know. is the obvious one. I don't know why I didn't say them originally. Oh, you
2: think? Hey, that's that's East Carolina, sir.
1: Yeah, they're I really mean, good at I was, baseball. I was
2: <laughs> adamantly corrected <by> an <laughs> East Carolina fan at the College Football Hall of Fame when I called it Eastern Carolina.
1: <laughs> yeah, So just, just call them ECU. It just means more there. It does. Yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see what happens back green. I'm sure more stuff will drop. In the coming days but um yeah i just want like you said ultimately i want stability i want this to stop i want there to be contracts i want it to make it just the only way to hit this stuff and halt it in its tracks is pay a fine pay the price like there has to be a severe monetary loss or ramifications by realigning ears down the road that's the only way you're going to prevent this is by putting stuff in writing and making it a huge huge hit to these universities bottom lines like that and these conferences bottom and, lines
2: and that's the other thing like you said like like is the sec proud of what they did like if everyone else is just staying staying put now we're just in this 16 team super conference that was the best conference in college football and now we just add oklahoma and texas like i'm not sure like yeah all the universities are really happy and they're going to be making even more money i'm sure but is that even good for the fans of Georgia? Is that good for the fans of Auburn or Florida? You know, like Texas A&M. Like, those aren't two bad teams they just brought in. Those are two teams that can, you know, Texas obviously isn't great right now. But, you know, those are two teams that could wouldn't surprise anybody if they were competing for SEC titles in the first or second year in the conference.
1: Texas is in for a reawakening, I, I guess. I, I shouldn't say I guess. I, I suspect. I
2: wonder... I wonder if it could work out perfectly. If if
1: next year they're in the SEC, then yeah, I think you're right. Well, I think they're going to but be in the West, right? You're probably going to put Texas have... in the West and Oklahoma in the East. No, I think it's I think they're going to do or the four, know, four person the pods. pods, pods the, the, you know, yeah, that's true. But
2: the pod thing would totally screw up the how you're going to decide the conference championship, right? Like if
1: you're well, the, I think the conference championship like a, stuff's gone at this point, right?
2: Oh, I don't think you can. You can you can get rid of the conference championship. I mean, hypothetically, when you expand the playoff, but until the ex- playoff is expanded, like that conference championship is still a super important true. Game. So, but I think they're going to go to hopefully they go to some version of my idea of just three locked opponents for everybody because then everyone when you once you rotate everyone can play everyone twice in a four-year period, and the schedule is going to basically even out if it's if it's that you know. We might have a tiebreaker or something. We got a some sort of issue, but I think if you're trying to play as many teams as possible, I don't know. I think they will probably end up getting rid of divisions. I don't even know. It'll be it'll be a challenge for sure
1: and people will get over that it's like you don't notice divisions and basketball and baseball like that's just that's only a thing because you grew up in it like ultimately what i i would rather have if it, if the choices between divisions or pod scheduling give me pod scheduling so that we get to play more teams like it's ridiculous that
2: you, you have yeah, not an ncc even- tournament i remember for years was set up of the one seed in the east faces the, the the four seed from the west and the one seed from the west you know and they they would lock like, they would do it that way and it it got to the point It just made no sense And they just Got rid of divisions
1: Yeah Which is how it should be There's there's no point anymore um, And it's just better For the fans Like I think The pod scheduling Is just better Better for fans um, Would you like to preview The SEC first Matt Green Or would you, do we Like do we want to save our, our one pick Our week zero We're going to have one To kick things off To get To to shake The rest off We are going To pick one Over under We're bringing that back Uh, right Yeah
2: there. let's 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 finish off with it with the pick to, okay. to finish things
1: off yeah nebraska illinois what's the what's the spread as of thursday night at 11 p.m august right,
2: 26th right now uh nebraska is a seven point favorite
1: mm. how are you feeling mac Green? where do you where do oh. you land on the huskers in champagne on saturday at noon on fox
2: like i don't know if i if i really think nebraska is gonna win as, or as much as i'm just like Nebraska has to win.
1: You know, like
2: if if Nebraska loses this game, like I feel like Scott Frost is a dead man walking. You know, it's like we're hope like as Nebraska fans, like we're hoping you're gonna win some of these swing games and we're going bowling this year, maybe a seven and five, eight and four season. Like, that's about as much as a Nebraska fan can really hope for. But if you got a seven and five or eight and four out of Scott Frost, I think you're encouraged, like, okay, let's Let's keep seeing what he's building. But if you lose to Illinois week one, like that's supposed to be one of the wins, you know. So I don't know. I just think it's – I think I'm feeling Nebraska. The points, I don't know if I would say – are we picking the spread or are we just picking win or lose?
1: No, we're picking the spread too.
2: If we're picking the spread, honestly, I'm going Illinois. I think this will be a really close game. I think Nebraska is going to win, but I think Illinois would cover the spread.
1: I thought we were going to differ here, but I agree. I think home dog of the week, our only dog, Illinois at home, Bielema. I'm i almost tempted to give Illinois this one, but I'm going to say Nebraska. I am. The,
2: the home thing, but it is a first year coach. You never know how much you can put into a first year coach.
1: Give me, give me the Huskers, but Illinois covers. So we're going to, agree on this right out of the gate
2: oh man terrible terrible radio
1: i i just i'm not gonna i'm not gonna mix it up uh, i mean we got also do you have a
2: is there a term for that in podcasting do you still say radio like that's bad radio you know like silence like that's just bad radio is that just bad podcasting i don't think no one talks that way
1: i mean i've heard other people say that on other podcasts but i don't know if i have on this very podcast fair enough Um,
2: You're you're the expert, so I was uh, deferring to you.
1: Well, I don't know if I'm an expert. I've just been doing this a long time. I don't think uh, that the two go hand-in-hand at all times. There are a lot of people who are bad at stuff, and they just do it forever. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Wise words, sir. uh, That's what I'm here for. Um, We got UConn at Fresno at 2 o'clock on CBS Sports Network. We have Hawaii at UCLA at 3.30 on ESPN. Very pumped for that. And then... I mean, if you're a real sicko, a real college football sicko, you can turn in to Southern Utah at San Jose State at 10 p.m. on CBS Sports Network or UTEP at New Mexico State at 930 on Valley Sports, Arizona.
2: Maybe uh, maybe Aaron Murray will be doing one of those games. He seems to usually do those random CBS Sports Network kind of games. Mm-hmm. Maybe, he'll get, maybe he'll get the Southern Utah San Jose State uh, <laughs> assignment.
1: Would you do that? They would
2: offered I, it to you. To do play-by-play for Southern Utah and San Jose yeah. State. Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> it's doing play-by-play like what are they paying? Are they paying me to do it, or do I have to pay to get out? No,
1: there? you're they're paying you to do it.
2: Yeah, I mean it's a job
1: like you do. Okay,
2: watching, calling play-by-play football.
1: Like, would you do it? No.
2: Are you above that?
1: It's not above it. I just I don't think I could lie. I think they would know that I'm not invested, and I I don't think I could hide it. I think it would just be too hard for me to, to put on that level of an act.
2: Don't get me wrong. I'd have to do some homework. I do mm-hmm. have to do a lot of homework. But uh, but San Jose State, they're a solid team.
1: They so. are. Their coach, they kept him. Thought he was going to be going to Arizona during the last coaching carousel, but he stayed put. Arizona went a different way with uh, Jed Fish. Um, I bet you've never been to San Jose, right? I have not. Spartans. I'm saying that's
2: up near, up near San Fran, right? Like
1: yes somewhere i'm not a a geography expert part
2: of the country that i have not been to so you know always down to see new places
1: okay there you go the more you know the more you know um it's time for our last preview of the off season next week we'll be talking actual football games and actual previews and all that good stuff um matt are you ready to do our sec previews starting with your georgia bulldogs
2: oh we start in georgia i thought we're were starting
1: with georgia alphabetical or something no okay we don't have to do alphabetical. i just wanted to throw that at you to see if you could if you wanted to do that but no we'll start alphabetical in the sec east and we'll start with florida and then we'll get to your georgia bulldogs we're going to start east and move west um the florida gators dan mullen 29 and 9 in three years there. career 98 and 55 um todd grantham returns for another season emory jones replaces kyle trask the offense was 11th in the country in efficiency last year. The defense was 81st. The offense was 7th in explosive plays. The defense was 88th. The offense yeah. was 17th in finishing drives. The defense was 96th. I don't know if you notice a the theme there. Um, they lost Jaden Hill for the season, one of their standout corners. So got Kyra Elam back there. Trey Dean's had a good summer and spring. So he figures to be a star in that, in that secondary. And they, they just do a really good job of creating stars in that secondary in florida um we're we're gonna see a lot like uh, there's a lot of questions about emory jones i've had some beat writers from florida talk about him and what's going on with the gators this summer but um i'm excited they were 13th in scoring last year nationally could not run the ball to save their lives they bring back Damian pierce we'll see what that looks like there because they're 96 there but this was the number one passing offense in football last year so emory jones is He's got some big shoes to fill in Kyle Trask, but he was a Dan Mullen guy years ago. He stayed in the system. He hasn't transferred. Schedule looks pretty nice, but yet your Georgia Bulldogs, just everyone you listen to, they're the favorites. There's no reason. They're like it's time to win a title. Blah 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 blah. The Gators are just sitting there, and I really like this team. I think there's reason to believe that Emory Jones can be just as dominant as JT Daniels this year. I think people are overemphasizing the last four games of JT Daniels while also just not talking about the fact that Emory's had years to get familiar with the system and has a gun. And we saw it in the the high school tape from him. What do you make of the Florida Gators? And do you think they have a realistic shot of winning the East this year?
2: Well, I was just surprised to hear you say there's reason for just as much optimism for Emory Jones as there's. For JT Daniels, I um I'm kind of wondering what you're basing that
1: off of. So he's 21 now. He's been in the same scheme for years. He's healthy. JT Daniels, the injury stuff's real, and the injury stuff has plagued him his entire college career. He wasn't good at USC before he got there. We're gonna see what he looks like. We're gonna see. The sample size is so small for him that people the way they talk about it, it's like the sample is a lot bigger than it is. Yeah, it was pretty good. We saw it on the stretch, but it's small sample it was a weird season small sample that kind of thing i yeah, that, that's
2: fair but i'm just saying we have like almost no sample of emory jones
1: no like, but six two two ten healthy but dan mullen has a track record todd monken and kirby doesn't have a track record yet we don't know we jt daniels does not have a track record yet i i'm not betting against dan mullen to not develop a quarterback like if you have to pick between who is more likely to develop a superstar quarterback in the college level Dan Mullen or Kirby it's Dan it's not even close like it's Kirby is not (laughs) not
2: exactly I mean let's let's be honest though Dan Mullen has been a head coach for what like 11 years but
1: that's part of the factoring and so why I'm saying that I believe in Emory Jones more is that Dan Mullen has a better eye for these guys like he I'm
2: saying you got 11 years of being a starting of being a head coach you got what three or four years of Dak Prescott and you got two years of Kyle Trask like that's that's half of his coaching career. The other
1: half is... But let's not discount I mean, got, what that he, was.
2: Yeah, Nick Fitzgerald, you know, like he was very productive, but, you know, Mississippi State wasn't winning anything with Nick Fitzgerald, you know, mm-hmm. like they had a 9-4 and four season where they were very solid, but they lost to, you know, the upper echelon teams in the SEC pretty handy. I think they gave Alabama a, a good game that year, but I feel like it's it's interesting, I feel like the how people kind of glaze over just... A lot of a lot of mediocre years. It's all it's obviously Mississippi State. You know we don't want to hold them to too high of a standard, but at the same time, like, I mean this guy he had Felipe Franks. Like Felipe Franks was playing better under Dan Mullen than he previously did, but Felipe Franks was still nothing special. So like Emory Jones, like I I don't doubt that Dan Mullen will get the absolute best out of Emory Jones. I just wonder, like, is it enough to, to beat the good teams on the schedule? You know, like, he's it's it's kind of alarming. Like, I don't feel like I've heard that much negativity coming from, like, beat writers and, like, people in practice reports. Like, people have really talked about Emory Jones. And everyone's raving about Anthony Richardson. So I don't know if it's – I don't know. They're kind of just downplaying Emory Jones. And then he's going to – you know, once the bright lights come on, he's he's going to look a lot better. But – I, um, I'm, I'm not, some people are thinking Florida takes a huge step back. Like, I don't think they take a huge step back. Like, I don't, I don't think they're going to be as good as they were in 2020, but I think the defense is has, the defense has to be improved for one just how bad it was. But I also think there's just a lot of encouraging factors on why it's going to be better. Um, they, I think Zachary Carter, uh, was first-team All-SEC in the preseason. Like, he's going to be one of the best defensive linemen in the SEC. They have the transfer from Auburn. I'm forgetting his name on the D-line. Like, they have a lot of returning talent. We we know how good their secondary pretty much always is. The, the Jaden Hill thing, that's going to be a huge loss. But I definitely think Florida's going to be better defensively. I just – looking at their schedule, you got Alabama at home, obviously – LSU uh on the road and then Georgia in in Jacksonville those are definitely the three biggest games I think if you're looking at like potential trap games you got at Kentucky you got at Missouri uh near the end of the season the week before Florida State I think those are potential hiccups I kind of think this is more of a nine win team also the over under is at nine and a half on Florida so it's I I tend to think they're going to be a good team, but they could be a good team and still just lose to Alabama, LSU and Georgia and and go nine and three and and go under. So that's kind of what I'm leaning towards. I think they're the exaggerate. I think it's being kind of exaggerated. I don't know. It's kind of being exaggerated in both directions. Like I think there's the people kind of what you were saying, that's like Emory Jones is a legit Heisman candidate and then there's the well I think if saying, you're saying if you want to throw out JT J- either of those camps
1: well I mean if you want to throw JT as a Heisman candidate I, and dismiss Emory I just don't think you understand how football works and you're just putting your all your eggs in the wrong basket like it's just that's silly to me like betting against Dan Mullen and betting for Kirby Smart and developing these guys is just it's just foolish like Dan Mullen knows how to do this and he is one of the best at it like Tebow he was the QB coach for Alex Smith at Utah like, that dude knows how to develop quarterbacks, and if I have to pick between the two of them, I'm going to pick Dan Mullen. And with the Richardson stuff, it seems like he's going to be more of a Joey Gatewood guy this year.
2: Yeah, people talk about his ability to throw as well. I mean, obviously, Dan Mullen has done a lot as a head coach.
1: I'm just saying... he won. He's only won less than eight games once while being at Florida, and it was last year when he won the East. Previous two years, he won 10 games. But,
2: but, and also, and last year is honestly one of his best seasons as in his... Entire coaching career and they go beating mm-hmm. four. You know, are they obviously the four is a little, a little overrated. Like you got Alabama that's the championship, that's a loss. And then everybody out for the know, ball game, yeah, we all know how the Oklahoma thing went. But I so at the nine and a half, what are you what are you thinking at nine? And a
1: half? I'm saying over.
2: You're saying over, so
1: you think? I think ten and two, eleven and one is the most likely. I'm picking okay. Florida to win the East.
2: Oh, wow. Just coming out and saying it. Fair enough. That's, um, I can understand that. I think the, uh, I think Florida's definitely going to be improved defensively. I just, I don't know. I don't, I think the Alabama thing really is really going to hurt. Like, just, just from the
1: schedule,
2: you know. This is a good time
1: to get times. Bama, man. This is a good time to get Alabama.
2: But I'm saying Georgia being your biggest competition doesn't have to play Bama. So that's just, uh.
1: I mean, Georgia has huge, to play Clemson. Schedule
2: that's a huge schedule. But I think just like last year, like if Georgia has a more favorable opponent from the West and doesn't have to play Bama, like granted they still lost to Florida, but that, that would be their only conference loss, you know, and Georgia would have been the SEC East champion, you know, just kind of based on the luck of the schedule. So I think Alabama just really just being on the schedule, granted it's at home, but you know, Florida hasn't been the swamp. Is it what it once was at home? You know, the last, you know two or three years they've they've seen plenty of losses at, i think probably three or four losses at home so i think uh i think that's it's definitely a good time to get bama you know if you're gonna get brand new starting quarterback his first game in the sec but um it's still bama so it, you never want to play bama
1: all right so we're, what are you doing over or under I'm going,
2: I'm going under i think it's a nine and three team
1: okay we disagree we're gonna disagree on this one i think georgia the Georgia Bulldogs. So like
2: what even is off, George is at ten
1: and a half. Mm. You got Solid Clemson shirt, out the gate. Shirt. Um. I'm gonna say under, but it, they just feel like a ten and two team. Like Kirby's gonna lose a dumb game. I don't know who it's gonna be. It's either gonna be Mizzou, Arkansas, Auburn, Florida, or Kentucky. I don't think they go undefeated See, in that but stretch. This
2: is an interesting. I feel like this is like uh something that people say about kirby i'm not really sure why so 2016 i kind of throw that out because that's his first year now you got to include it but it's his first year as a head coach it just doesn't really matter so the last four years georgia's lost one game where they were just you know the south carolina game the south carolina game that's the one time it's happened and it's like oh well kirby's gonna trip up somewhere it's like no Kirby Kirby lost to Auburn and at Auburn in 2017. Like that team beat Bama. Like that was a really good team, and then they beat them. In he, the SEC they almost lost to Kentucky
1: in the midfield game, where it was like what six to three at home.
2: I'm just saying that almost losing never matters. Just like almost winning never matters. I'm like just the fact that Georgia's been upset one time in Kirby's entire. Like they lost in Death Valley to LSU and lost to Alabama in the SEC championship game then they lose to Florida and Alabama this past year. Like they weren't favored in those games. So it's just, it's interesting how this label is already there. I'm not saying you put it there, but I've heard a lot of people say kind of similar things. Like I think the fact that this is at 10 and a half, I feel like Georgia almost should be one of those teams that's at 11 and a half. Like you think they're going to go undefeated or you think they're going to lose one because the schedule, I just don't think this is the year for Florida personally. And, and if you look at just this schedule, like, there's just not many trap games. There's not many dangerous-looking games. It's really Clemson and Florida, and that's about it. Like Auburn, I think Georgia's won one. What 13 of the last 16 against Auburn. Like the only teams that Auburn has had that that beat Georgia are when they have their best teams. They have and a first-year head coach. Like I know it's it's in Jordan Hare this year, but I don't see that really being much of a game, or I don't, I don't see that be. That, that's probably the third most difficult game on their entire schedule. And then you got, you know, South Carolina, Arkansas, Missouri at home. Like, I just don't think, you know, at Tennessee, like I don't think any of those games are really dangerous. Like, I think this team, I think is at at worst an 11-win team. And I think, especially if they lose to Clemson, I just feel like you're going to feel so much negativity as like a narrative. I almost feel like that's the kind of thing that, that Georgia seems to play better. Like, once team, people count them out. You know what I mean? Like, so it's almost better if they lose to Clemson because then it kind of gives them that laser focus that now they got to run the table. It seems like there's been years where Georgia's done that. Not that, you know, that's necessarily the the best thing to, you know, count on. But I just think this year, I'm not as high on JT Daniels. I'm going to say that just off the jump. So you can't include me in someone who's not – giving emory jones credit but is giving jt daniels credit i think the the hype on jt daniels is definitely premature but my thing about georgia is i don't think the quarterback has to be great for georgia to be great i think if you go back and look at 2020 like that's a perfect example georgia's beating alabama late in the third quarter in tuscaloosa this alabama team with jalen waddle mind you, like the team that was at full strength, like in Tuscaloosa, like they didn't win the game, but they're winning late in the third quarter with Stetson Bennett at quarterback. Like this is a legitimate like walk on caliber quarterback. So I don't feel like Georgia has to have Trevor Lawrence. They don't have to have Joe Burrow, Mac Jones to win a national championship, to to win the SEC. Like I think they can just have a good quarterback that can get the ball to the playmakers and I think this running game, there's questions on the offensive line, but I think this is the deepest Georgia backfield uh, has been in a few years. Like they're I think a lot of Georgia fans are anticipating Kendall Milton being the breakout player on offense. Even though Zamir White is the senior running back and he's gotten more carries, Kendall Milton showed showed some flashes last year that he just looks like a real deal. Highly rated prospect, but you got him and James cook as well in the backfield. And I think, you know, the injury to Darnell Washington, that's going to hurt versus Clemson. The injury to Tykey Smith, that's going to hurt versus Clemson. But I think these are injuries that these guys are going to be back. And there's a lot of playmakers on Georgia, like Eric Gilbert, who knows what's going to happen with him dealing with like personal issues or whatever. Who knows if George Pickens is ever going to recover and, and play any games at all this season. Like, even with all those questions at playmaker, Georgia or at wide receiver and tight end, Georgia is still like kind of loaded at those positions. Like they're they're very deep at wide receiver. And I think JT Daniels, if nothing else, like he wasn't like, you know, flawless, but if nothing else, last year he showed you like he gives Georgia the element of beating defenses over the top. And that's what Stetson Bennett didn't do. And, you know, Jake Fromm, you know, people have you know a lot of opinions about Jake Fromm. He could throw the deep ball, but he was definitely limited. And then when the when the running game wasn't there in 2019, it really exposed just you know how limited his arm strength was. So I think JT Daniels is. I think people are definitely premature on the on the Heisman hype. I I would I think it's a terrible bet if you're betting on JT Daniels to win the Heisman. Like if you can get like tenth best odds, you know go for it. But he's at like the third or fourth best odds uh, to win the Heisman. I just I don't see that. But the one name I'm going to throw out to you is Adam Anderson, outside linebacker. I think Adam Anderson is going to be one of the best players and defensive players in the SEC this year. He had like five and a half sacks last year, playing I think about 20% of the snaps. And Aziz Ojolari's gone to the NFL. This guy is just a pass rushing, pass rushing machine. I think he's going to have a monster year
1: okay what is the latest on eric gilbert by the way
2: i think the latest is just that it's personal issues and he's like he's dealing he's dealing with himself like uh, he's focusing on on himself like something like that some super vague you know almost like just almost like just i don't know it, it feels like a guy you don't even know if he's ever gonna play, right? Like I, mean, yeah. I remember Jonathan Ledbetter when he got in, he got that like DUI or something, and people were asking about, you know, is he, when's he gonna come back? And Kirby kind of gave like, you know, that that moral high ground answer, like, well, we're focusing on him as a person first, and then, you know, maybe he can get around to playing football, you know, that kind of that kind of thing. So kind of righteous answer, but you know, Jonathan Ledbetter did. Did clean himself up and he was a contributor on that really good Georgia team in 2017. But I um I just think the the expectations should be through the roof uh, for this Georgia team. Like I think the Clemson thing is is so difficult because these these recent injuries I think have really ch- kind of changed some people's like expectations for Georgia in this Clemson game. Myself included. I think Tyke Smith is going to be a you know a huge loss. Like just watching his tape at v- West Virginia, like. This guy's one of the most aggressive. So he's gone for the season, right? No, he's one of the – he's like Darnell Washington. They're out like three or four weeks okay. or something, which is like maybe they'll be back for the first game, maybe they'll be back for the second or third, like that kind of timetable. But, yeah, I think with the way Clemson likes to throw screen passes, like he, I think he was going to be a huge part of this game because I've never seen like a nickel corner that ta- get tackles for loss like this the way this man does. Like Georgia was really relying on him. Like after losing seven players from the secondary – five to the NFL and two to transfer, like that's that's really huge. And so, you know, the Darian Kendrick, he's gonna be a big addition. Uh the Clemson transfer. And so I think he should be ready to start from day one. But uh other than that, there's definitely some questions uh at, at the cornerback position. But I think Georgia's gonna have the best front seven in college football, honestly. Like these are gonna be the two best defensive lines in college football in this Clemson Georgia game to start the season. I think Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis, you know Trayvon Walker, Devontae Wyatt up front. Like Georgia is loaded on the defensive line. I think, I think it's uh they're loaded with versatile players. I think I'm definitely going over Georgia goes at least eleven and one in the regular season.
1: It is gonna be interesting too because JT was awful when facing uh, pressure last year in those four games. So his pass grade went clean was ninety one point nine. First pressure was forty nine point one. Like he was a completely different uh different quarterback. An accurate pass rate beyond the line of scrimmage, thirty nine point three percent. Um he had an average yeah. of two point four seven yards to throw, but he just wasn't but he was elite when clean, like when the, the the when he had time, and Georgia may have the best offensive line in the SEC this year, which is gonna be critical, especially against Clemson, is we'll know if Georgia's gonna win that Clemson game based on how many times we see JT Daniels getting knocked down. If he has time, I feel good about Georgia's chances. If he's moving well, then I'm I'm going to go ahead and pencil in D.J. Ugulehi, uh running away with this one.
2: Well, and what I think, way too many people focus on, like, don't get me wrong, I'm a Georgia fan, and I want Georgia to score more points. People
1: forget, points. Matt Green, Georgia fan.
2: Right, I want Georgia to score more points, but I feel like people equate offense to passing, and that's not the same thing. You can be great offensively and be balanced and be able to run the football, like, Obviously, Mac Jones and Joe Burrow put up huge numbers, but so did Najee Harris and so did Clyde edwards alaire Like so did Travis Etienne the uh, the year before. Like so did Zeke Zeke Elliott when Ohio State won the national championship. Like so did Derrick Henry. Like all these teams that have won championships in the college football playoff have had dominant running games. Like they've all had good quarterback play as well. Like elite quarterback play for the most part. Um, but all of georgia i think what's what's forgotten about like georgia was one of the best offenses in the country in 2017 and 2018 part of it or a huge part reason why is because georgia was top 10 top 15 running the ball both of those years georgia in 2019 and in 2020 were you know outside the top 40 in rushing offense and that's obviously the, the quarterback being able to you know having a good passing game keeps the defense honest and it makes it easier to run the ball. These, th- these things aren't completely exclusive to each other, but I think Georgia's inability to run the ball the last two years has really been kind of a, an under, an under, like an underrated point that people make. It's just, Oh, we got to get a quarterback. We got to get a quarterback. It's like, no, you got to get everything. You got to be able to run the ball and you have to keep, be able to keep defenses honest through the pass. And I think, I think that's what JT Daniels provides. I don't think he has to win a Heisman. He doesn't have to be an All-American for Georgia to to potentially win a national championship this year. If he's just, if he gives you 2018 Jake Fromm, like that might be good enough for Georgia to win a national championship because I think Georgia's loaded on defense and I think they're loaded in the playmakers. And it, it really, there's some question marks on the offensive line, but I think, like you said, I think they could end up being one of the best offensive lines in the SEC.
1: We shall see. I'm... Um gonna hit the under so lock me in for for the end lock under it dogs. in kentucky oh gotta, wait hold on hold on mm-hmm. one
2: last thing mm-hmm. kentucky segues nicely to this mm-hmm. i'm i'm so tired like i'm ready for expansion new sec schedule because i'm so tired of these teams with the acc rivals like their their season is done like the first week of november It's so annoying, like seeing Florida's schedule that they play Samford on November 13th, and then they have Missouri, and then they play Florida State. It's like there's – Georgia plays uh, Charleston Southern and Georgia Tech to finish off the season. I'm just – it's so terrible, though. It's like such an anticlimactic finish to these great college football seasons when Kentucky plays, you know, 10 SEC games – or eight SEC games, and then they – finish up with New Mexico State and Louisville. It just takes all the suspense out of, like, the conference, like, you know, that chase for to win the SEC East or to win your division or something. I just – got to do something about that when um, whenever we change all these SEC schedules. Cupcakes have to be played in September. That needs to be a rule.
1: I am I'm, I'm here for that. I agree with that. But like Louisville's not a cupcake. And like I it's rivalry. like that should just be part of it. Like well, they're Florida playing the no cupcake guys. either.
2: Yeah. And Georgia Tech has had their years where they've been good, but it's the fact of like doubling that with Samford and yes. Charleston Southern yeah. the week before. It's like, well, you know, Georgia gets to the Florida game and they, you know, they have one more game, SEC game, the rest of the season. It's just, I don't know, it you get to November, these other teams in the and the Big 10 and Big 12 were playing some of their, you know, some of their biggest games of the season and the SEC were over here playing cupcakes. And it totally fuels the the other conferences like argument of the SECs playing cupcakes. It's like just get them out of the way in September like everyone else does and then everyone will forget about it by the end of the season. But that's yeah. all that's all I got. Now to Kentucky.
1: Kentucky. Mark Stoops, 49-50 in eight years at Kentucky. Man, he's already been there eight years. Brad White, one of the better defensive coordinators in college football. Liam Cohen enters the fray. Looks like Will Levis is going to be the guy he recruited him when he was still at Penn State. They had one of the worst passing offenses in football last year. Um, but elite running the football. They're elite with their left tackle, at Darren Kennard. Um, he's going to be huge for them. They have talent there. They have Josh Ali out wide. They have Chris Rodriguez coming back. Great running back this defense is going to be elite this offense is going to be a question mark like what is their upside like there's kentucky is like an easy one to talk about because their ceiling's limited but their floor is extremely high so like worst case six and six best case eight and four it's very easy to talk about kentucky but i guess if you're just the biggest will levis fan or liam cohen fan you're like well why can't they sneak into to uh to sec east contingent because they do get florida at home they get lsu at home they got to go to georgia so we'll see what happens there and they also get tennessee at home so i don't know i i think 10 what is uh what is the the over under for them seven and a half oh goodness um what do you have them as so yeah like you said i they've been a
2: seven win they've had seven win regular seasons in um 2016 2017 and 2019 they just feel like a 7-5 and five type team, you know? But but like you said, the schedule isn't terrible. At Georgia, at Mississippi State, those are definitely tough on the road. But Florida and LSU at home, like,
1: I think you would... If you pencil all those in as long. We should mention they beat down Mississippi State last year. Is that right? What they did. That was score? one of the ugliest football games. Like, that was mean. I think that was the game where they had, like, six picks on uh, KJ Costello. Like, that was one where... They they buried him twenty four to
2: two. Oh yeah, I do remember that one. Yeah, this one is in Starkville this year. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think you're higher on Mississippi State than I am, but we'll we'll get to them. But um, also the Missouri is a, is an early one. The Missouri, I was struggling with this one. I was going back and forth with Missouri and Kentucky. I um, I feel like they could lose. The fact that they could still lose that Missouri game and maybe they beat Mississippi State, they can lose four games and still get the over. I kind of think, like, I'm not, like, sold that this offense is going to be, you know, this isn't Joe Brady coming to town or anything. But I do see them taking a step forward, and I think it's reasonable to for Kentucky to win eight games. They could potentially steal a game like Florida or LSU or something. I don't see that. But the fact that they don't even have to steal one of those to get to eight eight wins, I think I'm giving them the over.
1: Oh, I'm going under. Give me the under. I think so in mm. five feels right.
2: It would be it would be uh very common for him.
1: That would get uh, Mark Stoops over five hundred, though, I believe. Or right at five hundred, maybe. Career at Kentucky. Um next up, the Missouri Tigers, Connor Bazalek, Eli Drinkwitz people love him he was an sec media day uh just funny dude like he was he was interesting um he's 17, 17 and 6 all time as a coach um they bring in steve wilkes as dc um he's his own oc uh they went five and five last year they won some some big ones that they should have won like vanderbilt they blew out uh that, that was really it they they beat Arkansas barely. They beat Kentucky barely. They beat LSU barely. Um, beat South Carolina barely. the LSU
2: win was big for them, though.
1: It was big, but they didn't really blow anybody out. They didn't really have any, any big wins. Um, the offense struggled. They were um, for the first part of the season, but then Connor Baslet came in and forty-seven percent uh, in the country from that from that standpoint. But they lose Larry Roundtree the third, who. Was there? I swear, forever. Like that man has been the running back at Mizzou for an extremely, extremely long period of time. Matt Green, uh, what do you what do you make about uh, the the Missouri Tigers?
2: I kind of think Missouri is a team that people are uh, are sleeping on a little bit. I like you said, Connor Bazilek. Like the the offense, definitely. You know, he seemed to bring some energy to that off that side of the ball. Seven and a half is also the uh, over/under on Missouri. Just looking at their schedule, like they have Arkansas uh, from the West, and they also have, uh, have Texas A&M, and that's not, you know, Arkansas that they play them every year. But uh, A&M at home isn't necessarily the best, uh, the best uh, pool for the rotation. Um, but also at Boston College,
1: week four. What do you think about the at Boston College? That's a loss. They won't score enough.
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, like we had in our ACC preview. I think I'm Boston College is my sleeper in the ACC, so I could definitely see that being a loss.
1: Dracovic then, loves to swing it, man. That dude. They're going to score too much. Boston College is going to put up a lot of points this year with Cignetti's offense. I don't think Missouri can keep up in that kind of setting.
2: And I and I I tend to agree, especially on the road as well. But so yeah, say say Boston College is a loss. A M is a loss. Georgia's a loss and Florida's a loss. I'm I'm feel like I'm doing the same thing I did with Kentucky. Like they can lose all those games and still get the eight and four. Like I think the Kentucky the Kentucky Missouri game might decide. Wait, are
1: you giving them a win against Tennessee?
2: Oh yeah, definitely.
1: Oh, that's ridiculous. They beat they lost to Tennessee handedly last year.
2: Yeah, but I mean last year's last year first year that was a worse
1: situation. Like- Tennessee's gonna be better than they were last year. Like Tennessee is going to put up think, a bunch of points.
2: I think Missouri is definitely going to be better than they were mm, last year. I
1: don't know. They have inexperience at corner at the corner spot and the in the secondary as a whole. The receiver spots. I I don't know. Uh, you can you can have that one.
2: I'm um. You're Give
1: me the call under. Me crazy. Tennessee's I'm beating going, Missouri. Get out. Of I'm here going with
2: this over. I'm myth. going over on Missouri. I think I can see Kentucky and Missouri managing. Eight win
1: seasons. Disrespectful. I won't have it. Um, next up, South Alina, the Gamecocks. They ended last year with one, two, three, four, five, six straight losses. Um, they were 98th in scoring. Uh, Must jump. and everybody gone. Must champ now, obviously. In Athens, Ryan Helensky, who transferred out, lost the QB competition at Northwestern so he'll back up. Hunter Johnson. And then you have, um, is it going to be Luke Doty? Is that, uh, is that the guy for year one under, under, uh, Shane Beamer? You got Marcus Satterfield as the, the OC, Clayton White with the defense, a lot of optimism about Clayton White too. Um, we'll see what happens there. They, they bring back Kevin Harris, who I think is an absolute stud having watched him just tear apart Tennessee last year. And he, he was good. Uh, I liked him a lot. Um, but, you know losing shy smith is going to be a big loss for them losing jc horn is going to be a big loss for them but i do like a lot of the the talent they're pretty thin out wide older dudes but they are um they'll they'll see it uh you got this situation on the schedule where i'm like this schedule is not bad like if you're shane beamer this is the kind of schedule you want in year one right without a doubt
2: and that's kind of the direction I was going. Three and a half is the over-under on this. Like, I am not high on on South Carolina by any means. But you got Eastern Illinois at East Carolina, Troy, and then obviously Clemson at a conference. Like, is that not three wins right there? Like, guaranteed? Like, they got to steal one conference game to get to the four to get over three and a half. I, I'm giving them over. Like, I think... Four and eight. This is a terrible team, but like they're getting three wins at a conference. Give me, give me over on South Carolina. Four and eight.
1: Four and eight. He says, "Yeah, I think it's going to be bad. I, I think this is just going to be a long-term rebuild in Gamecock country. So give me, give me the over, but four and eight feels feels right. They're not going bowling at the very least. Like this is going to be the worst. Like I think there's a chance South Carolina finishes last in the East. I don't know if. Vanderbilt fit, or South Carolina fans are ready for this because I think Vanderbilt's gonna like Clark Lee is gonna maximize his three and four stars or three and two stars rather, and I I don't know I'm, that
2: game is always close.
1: That's it. what I'm saying. Like that might decide who finishes last, and I'm leaning Vanderbilt as the better team right now.
2: I think you're definitely right that South Carolina fans aren't ready for this. Like I don't think they're ready for like I don't know the foreseeable future. Like. Steve Spurrier is one of the greatest coaches in college football history. Like, I think Steve Spurrier gave South Carolina, like, a complete just, like, delusion of how good of a program they are. Like, that was their greatest run ever, like, by far in the history of their program. And I don't think they're ever going to return to that. Like, it's just – Clemson becoming a powerhouse, like – had to be the worst thing that could have ever happened to South Carolina. You're already have just, you know, have Georgia and Florida and the SEC East just dominating you. And now you have Clemson in your own state. Like that's when the SEC was honestly at its strongest. When, when South Carolina was routinely the third or fourth best team in the SEC and they were still beating Clemson every year, you know, there was like four or five, maybe six years in a row or something, they beat Clemson. But ever since that, and South Carolina's gone downhill and we're post Steve Spurrier, like I honestly don't ever see them returning to you know a winning record like an eight nine win team in the SEC like I just don't see it. I think South Carolina is gonna be missing bowl games for the for the foreseeable future. I just they got a long way to go. This schedule is favorable, so like they might get four wins this year, but like uh, it's, it's not looking good for South Carolina.
1: I tend to agree. Um, next up, the Tennessee Volunteers. The easiest lock of all the locks in college football. Give us the over-under, Matt Green. Six and a half. Yeah, under. Six. Done. Next team. <laughs> Is that a lock? I've never been more certain about a team going six and six in my entire life.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, just looking at the schedule, how do you feel about Pitt? Uh, Pitt's a, a win At a conference, you got Bowling Green, Pitt, Tennessee Tech and South Alabama. that that should be four wins, but it's at least three wins. Like I could see Pitt, I could see that being a, a dangerous game. Like I think Pitt could be a solid team in the ACC this year. but you know then if, if they go three, say they go four0, are they getting three who are the three more wins they're gonna get on the schedule?
1: Like South Carolina and Vanderbilt. Wait, so who are you giving? So here's how I'll do it. Bowling Green, Pitt. I'm
2: saying let's Pitt, give okay. them the, we'll give them the 4-0 at a conference.
1: Okay. Um, well, then I would say Vanderbilt, obviously. I think that's a lock. Vanderbilt literally just gets coaches fired at UT. Butch Jones, Phil uh, Fulmer. Like, it's just the death nail if you, you lose that game. Um, I think, so that's five, right? Vanderbilt south carolina locked. phil fulmer
2: if phil fulmer lost to vandy in 2007 georgia would have a national championship
1: okay that's enough um vanderbilt south alabama let me look south carolina pittsburgh bowling green tennessee tech is that six wait did you put missouri in there yeah i think you counted seven okay yeah that's so you, possible.
2: Given, see, I don't. I'm not
1: guaranteeing the. Here's they West have problems. some toss-ups. I mean, even if you blow pit, like Ole Miss at home, like we'll see the Lane Kiffin return. I don't know how that's gonna go. That's a toss-up. Like Ole Miss's defense is gonna stink. Is that again. a toss-up? Josh Heupel like, with this like, offense. Lane
2: Kiffin's gonna come in there and hang some points on Tennessee.
1: But we're gonna hang points on them. Like that's the thing is Josh Heupel. Have you looked at his offensive history? Like it doesn't matter. Like Josh Heupel, wherever he goes, he fixes offenses well, i am not sure in the-
2: tennessee what is it joe milton is he yes the guy? he will be starting yeah that's who i'm thinking would be the starter so like how much can like how much can you expect from joe milton like mackenzie milton you know he was a stud under Heipel, but like,
1: dylan gabriel put it together a he- heisman campaign
2: dylan gabriel for sure but you
1: know joe drew milton lock had- at mizzou with josh Heipel.
2: I'm saying all of those guys have been better than Joe Milton. So I don't know that, I don't just automatically know that Joe Milton's going to put up numbers like those guys did. Like those guys have all been proven to be good quarterbacks. Like he was like for, what was it, the first game last year that he played so well? And then he just kind of fell off a cliff. Like I'm not really sure, you know, what happened to him in Michigan. Maybe it's just Michigan's offense, but um, I'm definitely not. Not bullish on Joe Milton's performance at Tennessee by any means.
1: I think we've got a lot of talent. I think the defensive line will be better than people expect That can uh, the Kansas transfers is a stud, and the the linebacking core is getting better. Um, I think Jawan Mitchell is going to be a leader in that situation. You got Aaron Willis, who's the number one recruit in that group. You have Aaron Beasley there. You got talent. the uh, the cor- the wide receiver spot is loaded with Tillman, Bealus Jones, Jalen Hyatt. Jimmy Callaway, you got dudes everywhere. Jamar uh, Peyton from um, from Mississippi State is in there. Austin Pope should do some stuff. The offensive line still has a lot of talent, um, and then you have the number one uh, JUCO running back in Tion Evans, who's killed it this summer. So he's a little wrecking ball. Devonte Freeman, energy from him, um, they're just going to score a lot of points. So I just, I think that's just going to be part of it. Is I think it's the defense will fall off. But I do think, whether it's Hendon Hooker for stretches, Harrison Bailey, Joe Milton, Heupel is going to score points. He is going to put up a lot of points. We're running the air raid, and it might be ugly at times, but they're going to put up a lot of points.
2: But the air raid doesn't just mean you score points. It's like, you might throw for a lot of yards, but like you have to be good at it to be scoring a lot of points. And I just I don't know if year one, if I can necessarily expect too much from this Tennessee offense from what we saw a year ago.
1: That's fair, but I am pretty optimistic about what I've seen and heard thus far. I think it's going to be pretty solid on that front. Last team in the East Vanderbilt Commodores two and 10 is their projected record from what I was looking at earlier. Um, Over under is
2: a three and a half. mm. Oh, wait, wait, wait. So hold on. You started with Tennessee saying lock in the under
1: yeah then it sounded like you talked no, I'm still doing it minutes. I'm still doing the under because if they go over it i'll I'll feel better i'll I'll be happier,
2: okay. see, I'm the opposite kind of sports fan. I feel like if my team if I predict my team becomes short and they exceed my expectations, I'm like shame on me. How could I have doubted my team? You know what I mean so that's uh that's just that's just me that's that's where I'm coming from,
1: hmm okay. Next up, Vanderbilt, you said, what was the over-under? Three and a half. Mm. ETSU at Colorado State, Stanford at home, UConn at home.
2: Is mm. there any chance they go 4-0 and oh at a conference? No. And that was my logic. That's why I think, you know, maybe they go 3-1. and one. Stanford's not a, you know a world beater by any means, but Stanford still should they, still win that game. Yeah. I think they should still be better than Vanderbilt. Exactly. So I think if they go three and one at a conference, yeah, it's like, can they steal one conference game? Like maybe, but well, do you I'm know how many on, they stole last year? South Mac Carolina Green. winning that one game. So I'm i uh, I'm going to go with South Carolina over bandy So I, I got to go under.
1: I think I'm going to go under two. The one saving grace, they return all their, receivers but this offense was bad like that's the thing when you see everybody's returning a bunch but I'm like well they're returning a bunch of bad players (laughs) like they're returning (laughs) people but like they're returning a bunch of bad players like this team went 0-9 last year they were 125th in scoring offense last year like this offense was abysmal like atrocious Ken Seals had some stuff he showed a little bit but not enough to make me go yeah this is the guy long term and he's gonna be awesome but Ken
2: uh, 0-9 last year you know why because they quit on their season, mm. still salty about it as a Georgia fan. Just took away one of my Saturdays in the fall. <laughs> they just didn't want to play. They were just like, you know what? We don't want to play this game. We don't. It's pointless.
1: Okay. And it honestly, was. you didn't need to see Georgia Vanderbilt. That was not something you had to see, Matt Green.
2: You no, know, it's just you want to see. Honestly, it would have been one last one more game. JT Daniels, just a little tune up. You know, given 'em five games in the twenty twenty season instead of four. So I'm going under. Did you go under? I went under as well.
1: Okay. Alabama I think
2: South Carolina Oh no, we agreed on all of those last three. Mm-hmm. Okay, never mind. All right, go ahead.
1: Alabama, Matt Green. John Mechie, Slade Bolden, new names in the fold. Um eleven and a half. Poof. Lock in the under. This is my lock of the west. Lock of the west. This is a rough schedule, man. To replace as much as they're replacing on offense. I I don't like this schedule for them. Bryce Young could be a Heisman candidate this year. Wouldn't surprise me. At Florida, Miami to open at AM, at Miss State, at Auburn. I don't yeah, know. I agree. I, I mean this team could still, you
2: know, win a national championship, but it doesn't feel like an undefeated season. Like I, I was just looking at the years Saban has had a first-year starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's 2008, 2011, 2014, 2015, 2018, and 2020. They did win national championships three of those years, but they only went undefeated in the regular season two of those years. And that would have been 2018 with Tua and 2020 with Mac Jones. So it is possible, obviously, for them to go undefeated with a brand new starting quarterback. But like you said, the schedule. Like I'm not gonna necessarily pick Alabama to lose any of these games. I just feel like one of them is gonna get them. You know what I mean? Like at Texas A&M is the is the popular opinion on October 9th. You know, I think at Florida. Like I'm not high on Florida this year, but i think getting them like we've said the third game of the season you know bryce young he could be a heisman candidate but he could also have you know a freshman learning curve like that could easily happen and they could lose in the swamp and i don't honestly i think i might be not giving enough credit to miami like i think miami could be a legitimate contender and the fact that you know, if Derek King is, you know, 100% healthy and, and making plays like we've seen him make, you know, that makes Miami just a completely more dangerous team. And being the first game of the season, replacing what they're replacing, I still expect Alabama to come out and take care of business. But I'm, I'm with you. I think this is an 11-1 team. I think mean, they could still win the SEC, they could still win the national championship. I just don't see them going undefeated in the regular season. And the fact that it's just undefeated or lose one game, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with one game.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Do you have them winning the West?
2: Uh, I do have them winning the West.
1: Okay, I'm gonna say they don't. I think this is gonna be a da- a little bit a down year for Alabama. is ten and two. Um, but I am curious. Who do you think leads Bama at the end of the year in carries?
2: In carries, I think it's um.
1: Do you think it's Robinson or do you think Trey Sanders has an outside chance?
2: Trey Sanders, I'm just not, I don't know what to expect from a running back coming off an ACL. You know what I mean? Like there's, we've seen guys just be monsters, but I I tend to think that Robinson is going to be the guy that like, it's just honestly that I feel like Alabama's not going to miss a beat. I'm not saying he's going to be Najee Harris, but maybe he's, uh, Oh shoot. Who's why am I forgetting the other, the other Harris? Damian Harris. Damian Harris. I feel like he could just easily – he seems like he's just going to be a plug-and-play in Alabama. Their rushing attack is not going to miss a miss a beat. It's just going to be just as explosive. He's going to be a stud for him. I think – I'm definitely thinking Robinson is the guy.
1: Okay. Um, next up, Auburn – or no, Arkansas. Excuse me. Um, then we'll get to the anti-vaxxers in a second. Um, Arkansas. <laughs> Sam Pittman. Easy to root for. They fought hard last year. Big surprise. And Mississippi State should have beaten Auburn last year in that game at Auburn on October 10th. Uh, beat old Miss, beat Tennessee in a really ugly, awful game that we will not be talking about. Um, came close to beating LSU, came close to beating Mizzou, got destroyed by Alabama in the year, but. You know, there's some things to like here. K.J. Jefferson looks like he's going to be the guy under center, but you have talent behind him and Blake Horns being friends. You have Traylon Burks, Trey Knox. You get a lot of dudes. You bring back the entire offensive line, um, bring back most people on the defensive side of the ball. Bumper Poole is a dude. Um, Grant Morgan's a dude. I like a lot about this team. Barry Odom is just an elite defensive coordinator and it's been important for them to keep him. Kendall Bride a good offensive of mind. I like a lot on this group, but then you look at the wins and I'm just like, where are they getting these wins? Like they're in the SC West. Like I like a lot of what Arkansas has done, but I don't know, man, what is their over under? That's exactly,
2: I'm right there with you. And then I saw this over under at five and a half. I'm like, Oh, five and a half Arkansas. They're going to get over that. And then you look at the schedule and you're like, um, I'm not sure where they're getting six wins from. Like, so like you said starting off with rice and then texas georgia southern and then arkansas pine bluff at a conference like that could be 4-0 but you know i'm definitely not confident they're beating texas and so if they go three and one out of the conference now you need three conference wins and they get missouri and georgia from the east so that's not necessarily great you know missouri that could definitely be a win if they're getting to six, that's gotta be a win. You know they should, like you said, they should have beaten Auburn last year, and they get them from home. They get them at home this year. I'm just struggling to find six wins on their schedule, even though, like you said, this was such a fun team to watch last year. Like you, you know, it felt like a, a resurgence of Arkansas football, and then you look at the ske- the the record. You're like, oh, they only went three and seven last year. I guess. Yeah. I guess Arkansas was really that bad that the three wins felt positive. So and maybe they build on the three wins and, and go five and seven this year, but
1: I don't see them winning six games. I I feel bad because if they were in the Big 12, we would love Arkansas. They would get a lot of love. Like if Arkansas was in the Big 12 with this group, they would be like, would they be dark horse contenders to win the whole conference?
2: <laughs> I don't with the Big Twelve, like minus Oklahoma and Texas.
1: No, I mean I would like we're talking about them potentially beating Texas to beat them in week two.
2: But to be fair, I mean how good is Texas? Like in well, the people Big are talking 12? about Texas, like,
1: and well, what what my broader point: people are probably, talking like, about Texas third,
2: fourth, fifth best team in the Big Twelve. No,
1: people are talking about them as number two, like right there with Iowa well, State. We, uh yeah, I guess so. So my point is, if we're talking about them beating Texas potentially. I mean, it says a lot about the Big 12, but like, I don't know. It it that's just sucks. Fair. They're in the SEC West. I'm going under two because I just don't see the wins. I, yeah, I, don't...
2: I honestly, and I'm not even sure I'm counting the win versus Texas either. Just on the road at, alone, just at Georgia, at Ole Miss, at LSU, at Alabama, mm-hmm. like that's absurd. And they they got Texas A&M and Jerry World this year.
1: Yeah, I mean that's a, probably lost it.
2: Like, yeah, it's just it's rough. Fun fact for you, Mm -hmm. do you know the last time, oh wait, hold on, that's the wrong team, wrong fun fact, (laughs) different fun fact for you, Arkansas has not beaten Texas A&M since they joined the Big 12, or since they joined the SEC, but ironically enough, they had a three game series the three years before Texas A&M joined the SEC, and they swept them. They beat him 2009, 2010, 2011, and him joined the SEC in 2012 and has beaten them every year since. Kind of crazy.
1: They should actually leave. Arkansas should actually take Texas and Oklahoma's spot in the Big 12. Mizzou and Arkansas <laughs> should leave. I'm not even kidding.
2: I wonder. I wonder if they would. If they'd be down for it. Obviously, the money. And
1: yeah, the, the money is why they don't do it. All that but at the end of the day. it would be so good for their football program um auburn bo Nicks, new mike bobo your old friend mike bobo tank bigsby maybe the best running back in the sec this year um bring back a lot on defense who um not a lot to like about brian harson out the gate um it's been it's been a little bit messy. they lose seth williams they lose anthony schwartz so they're replacing a lot of dudes out wide they're gonna run the ball a bunch. A lot of play action would be my guess. You get Dylan Brooks in there. Um, he'll I don't think he's gonna start right away with Moultrie there, but they have a lot of talent on defense. The defense will be fine. Derek Mason is gonna get a lot out of this group. Um what is the over under for this Auburn Tigers group? Uh Auburn, we got it seven and a half. Oh, that's an easy over for me.
2: Easy over. Yeah. So,
1: I want you to find 8 wins
2: on this schedule.
1: All right. Akron.
2: So, you go Are you going at Penn State? You giving them that?
1: I am giving them Penn State.
2: See, I don't think I can give them at Penn State. I think that's going to be a tough one. I think, I think it'll be State tough. I
1: just think back, they'll
2: win. I think they're in for a bounce back year.
1: Georgia State sets so 4, at Arkansas is 5, Old Miss at home is 6. Mm. At South Carolina is 7 and Mississippi State at home is 8. Yeah. I feel like I could also see Alabama. They're winning, to the they're season.
2: winning every toss up game, I think, to get to eight wins. I think I think Georgia's a loss. I think LSU's a loss. I think Alabama, Texas A and M. Also, here's the fun fact I had for you. Auburn has not lost at Texas A and M since they joined the SEC. Huh. The last time Texas A and M beat Auburn in college station was nineteen eleven. Hmm. So Auburn doesn't lose in College Station. So that'll be interesting. But first-year head coach, I know I've said that multiple times. I just can't put too much. Like, even if Brian Harson's a really good coach, there's just something about that first year. It's like you kind of – you got to weed out the guys that that are buying in, the guys that aren't, you know, kind of the cream rises to the top kind of thing. And and you take your growing pains in year one. And so – I'm actually going under the seven and a half. Auburn has lost four-plus games seven straight years, right? Four-plus losses seven straight years. Twelve of the last 14 years, Auburn has lost four-plus games. Granted, that's still an eight and five. That's still eight win. That would be over. But I just found that incredible that the only two years in the last 14 years that Auburn did not lose four or more games – they went to the freaking national championship. Like how wild is that? Like just, you talk about hot and cold. Like Auburn is just one of those teams. I haven't personally given up on Bo Nix. Like I think, it was definitely a sophomore slump, but like Bo Nix has talent. He's an athletic quarterback. Like last year could have been kind of a wake up call for him. I think with, he was SEC freshman of the year. You know, I think TJ Finley, you know, people have talked, you know, highly of TJ Finley coming over from LSU, but I kind of think that competition is going to light a fire under Bo Nix, so I could definitely see Bo Nix having a better year. It might not equal more wins for Auburn, but I could definitely see him having a better year. Maybe they go seven and five. I'm also not nearly as high on Tank Bigsby as everyone else. Like, he he was a nice player as a freshman. But I, I I would definitely not say he's the best running back in the SEC.
1: Okay. Next up, the LSU Tigers. Maybe the most difficult for me to forecast this year. Did you find that as well in your previews?
2: Yes, except for I found I thought the over under was low, at eight and a half. Mm. So like I do, I am kind of hot and cold on on LSU. Like struggling with some of these toss up games, but eight and a half, that seems a little disrespectful. Like nine and a half seems like you'd, you'd have, you know, some people thinking they win 10 games or nine games kind of going back and forth. Like eight wins. I just don't see LSU winning eight games. I just feel like they're, they're better than that. And, you know, looking at the schedule, you got Kentucky and Florida from the East, like, yeah. At Kentucky, that could be tough at UCLA, at Bama home versus A&M, like, there's definitely some tough games on the schedule, but I, I think this is a bounce-back year. I think LSU could be a 10-win team, honestly, but I think they're at least a 9-win team, so I'm de- I'm going over on. I like Max Johnson, Keyshawn Boutte. I, uh, I like LSU this year.
1: Is it a bad sign that the Cincinnati D.C. chose Notre Dame over LSU?
2: Um... No, I don't think so. I think right now, okay. too, if you're just a – like, just just from, like, a job market standpoint, like, I think going to LSU under the current, you know, things going around in the program, I just don't think there's as much stability there. Like, you go to Notre Dame, and, like, I think you know Brian Kelly's is going to be at Notre Dame as long as he wants to be at Notre Dame. Like, Ed Orgeron could be gone this year and it's like something off the field happens he could be gone tomorrow you know what i mean i feel like that's kind of how how crazy the situation around lsu is right now so i can understand just just from a job security perspective being like i'm gonna go with the guy with more stability
1: their new oc co-oc jake peets and dj mangus but peets is the one who said this quote we want to make this quarterback university joe burrow set that bar very high quarterback university in baton rouge
2: yeah like this 2019 lsu team i feel like as like low-key ruined college football expectations for everyone around the country like Mm -hmm. i heard heard this uh that girl on sec network i forget her name on the in the studio we well, was talking about Kentucky, and they were like, "Can we see a Joe Burrow type impact on the new offense?" And Gene Chizik is just like, "I feel like it was it was it seemed difficult for him to not laugh at what she just said." Like, no.
1: Well, not. I mean, to be they're fair not. to her, they're part of their job on the SEC network is to prop up everyone on the SEC to be like, "Hey, here's the reason you should watch the three o'clock or noon Kentucky Vanderbilt game." in October
2: but I feel like you just I feel like I've heard so many mentions of you know they could be like this year's Joe Burrow who could be this year's Joe Burrow it's like well, we heard
1: that with Baker? uh Baker Mayfield now like for years like Stetson Bennett how many times did you hear Georgia fans like there's a little bit of Baker with him like he had some uh Baker Mayfield in to him.
2: be fair that was only because Stetson Bennett like played Baker Mayfield on the scout team yes so I feel like that's
1: probably the wait only hold reason. on who played Baker Mayfield on the Georgia scout team was that Stetson Bennett this is news to me Macarena? Did they talk about that on a broadcast? Uh, Did 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 anyone ever talk about that? From
2: played in the Little League World Series. I don't know if you ever. (laughs) But uh, yeah, fun fact for you, he was a he was a 29 year old man in the Little League World Series. Tony Gonzalez um,
1: played basketball. People forget that. Who's that? Tony Gonzalez, tight end legend. He he was a dual sport athlete. It's true. People forget um, this stuff.
2: But what are you thinking? Eight and a half. What are you going on with
1: LSU? We're going to know a lot on September 4th at L- at UCLA. Like, we're going to know a lot about this team at that point. At Mississippi State, they lost that game last year, got blown out. Um, getting Auburn, Florida, and AM at home is going to be really helpful. Max Johnson looks like he's going to be the guy. I'm pretty high on John Emery. I think he's a really, really good player. Um, obviously, Derek Stingley is a monster. Getting most of their... Secondary back is going to be helpful. Their entire defensive line returns. I'm going to say over. Uh, I, they feel like a nine and three team to me.
2: Yeah, and I'm not predicting it, but LSU also seems like that team that's like never scared to play Bama. You mm-hmm. know, some teams just seem to you know wet the bed when they play Bama and make those mistakes that just kind of you know turn the tide. No pun intended. And then Alabama just starts. Blasting them. Like, LSU is one of those teams that it doesn't even matter how good they are. It doesn't have to be the best LSU team. It seems like every year they give Alabama a game, even though it's in Tuscaloosa. Like, I could just see a freshman, Bryce Young, granted he's a seasoned freshman by the time that LSU game rolls around, but I could just see them stealing a game from A&M, from Alabama, that, that maybe people aren't anticipating them winning, and also getting Florida in Baton Rouge. And I think Auburn hasn't won in Baton Rouge since, like, the 90s, honestly. So, I uh, I think that UCLA is tough. I think that just going across the country on the road is definitely tough. But I think that's the kind of game that I could see. Like, Georgia-Notre Dame in 2017, like, Notre Dame was, was... I think Notre Dame ended up being solid that year. But they were, like, a 4-8 and eight team or something the year before. It's not like they were necessarily that good of a team, but it was, like, the the experience kind of boosted that, that season, you know, and I kind of feel like, you know, going to the Rose bowl, going, it's like not, you're not playing a, a top five team on the road, but you're just getting that road experience. And I feel like that's the kind of thing that could just build some confidence. And then they have a couple cupcakes to, uh, to follow that with. Yeah. I could definitely see LSU winning nine or 10 games this year.
1: Yeah. Mississippi State, team I think we're going to differ on, Matt Green had a really weird topsy-turvy. They won one, lost four straight, won one, lost three straight, then won the final two, beat Tulsa in that memorable bowl game with the huge brawl. Mike Leach, year two, we know how it goes. Zach Arnett, one of the best defensive coordinators in football, not talked about enough. Um, There's a lot to like with this this group. Um, What is the over-under Matt Green?
2: Over-under is at six and a half.
1: Oh, over. Done. Lock it in.
2: Lock it in. See, so I thought like the out-of-conference schedule is what kind of throws me off with of Mississippi State. Like, NC State in Starkville and at Memphis, like, those are low-key tricky games right there. I can't pencil those in as game. Like, I I would definitely not pencil Mississippi State in for a 4-0 out-of-conference schedule. I think they're driving one of those games, either Memphis or NC State. Like, those are quality yeah. those are quality teams at a conference. And then if you do drop one of those games to get to seven wins, you're talking about needing four wins in conference. Who are they? Who are the four teams they're beating on this schedule? Arkansas at Arkansas at Vanderbilt. They beaten. They went in at Auburn
1: it's possible old miss at home very possible
2: old miss the egg bowl
1: yeah kentucky at home
2: that's the best oh kentucky i missed that one that could be a win i think i think that's a lot of a lot of leach is gonna get going
1: going one of them that paper. we aren't expecting matt like that's the other thing about Leech. he's gonna that hit one of these true. guys he is going to hit him and it's gonna be like one of those where you and I text him you're like, Did you see the Mississippi State score? Why are they up forty five to ten on whoever? And we're just But going to then be... they
2: could follow it up with a twenty four to two loss to Kentucky. I yeah. feel like they just I feel like he's too volatile. Um I don't know, six this feels like a six and six team. I'm uh, I'm I'm going under.
1: I like their receiving core um i like wally i like heath like williams like ducking i like
2: you're a big will rogers guy
1: big will rogers guy we've seen more oh here's a take for you we've seen more out of will rogers than we have jt daniels to this point
2: whoa let's take it easy there i mean
1: i'm not saying his ceiling is as high as jt daniels it's not but what i'm saying is i think will rogers has a mastery and i think he is i would bet like i'm more comfortable and i know what will rogers is he's gonna be healthy he's gonna play like as a true freshman and Leach's scheme, no practice, like what he was thrown to, and what he did against Georgia, way more impressive than anything we saw JT Daniels last fall. I mean, especially he with the
2: touchdowns and seven picks, that's not. I mean, the seventy percent completion percentage is nice. That's huge, true freshman. He's also attempting it's five point seven yards per
1: attempt. So. That's what their offense is, though.
2: Yeah, so I'm not gonna. I'm maybe put it more on the offense than him just like dominating. I feel like he he might can run this offense well, but I still have to see a lot more from him. Like J.C. Daniels, it's like, let's also, this is one injury. Like he tore his ACL to start his sophomore year. And then he, that got surgery. and He wasn't fully recovered by the 20 start of the 2020 season. And so that, and then once he was healthy, he started playing again. So it's just the one injury to be fair. It's not like this guy's getting hurt every time, every year he plays.
1: Okay, so you're going under.
2: I'm going under on Mississippi State.
1: All right, Ole Miss. Matt Corral might be the best quarterback in the SEC this year. Um lot to like there. Jerrion Ely is going to be a stud behind him. You have a bunch of talent out wide. You got John Reese Plumlee doing whatever he does out wide. Now you got Braylon Sanders, Terio Drummond, Jonathan Mingo will be really good. Um, like a lot of a lot of the pieces here, um, you lose Elijah Moore, you lose Kennedy O'Boa, but I think the one thing that is certain is Ole Miss is going to put up points. Looking at the – like they put up 48 against LSU, 31 against Mississippi State, 59 against South Carolina, 54 against Vandy, um, obviously 48 against Bama. Like they're just going to – they're going to score a lot, and this is a pretty nice schedule for them when you look at it. Um, the game that I'm actually most excited for – Is Ole Miss Liberty the Hugh Freeze? I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) The Hugh Freeze Bowl, Malik Willis versus Matt Corral. I'm here for it.
2: What a sexy schedule, though. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, Hugh Freeze coming to town. You got Lane Kiffin going to Knoxville. Like. It's awesome that you can get some, some great storylines with some of those lesser games on the schedule. No disrespect to Tennessee or anything. Mm. But um, it's definitely not one of the ones you circle. Well, you do circle that because Lane Kiffin's coming back. But, yeah, I agree with you completely, everything you're saying about Ole Miss. I was just shocked at this number at 7.5.
1: Mm. Give me the over.
2: I'm going over easily on that. Like, looking at the – like. The thing is, when you don't play defense, yeah, you might can beat anybody with a great offense, but you can also lose to anybody when you don't play defense. So, But looking at their schedule, like, Bama, LSU, and A&M are the only teams on their schedule that are, like, really better than them, right? Like, from the East, you got Tennessee and Vandy. Like, that's a pretty solid pull. And then you have, out of conference, Austin P, Louisville, Tulane, and like you said, Liberty. I think this is a... Those are six wins right there. I think I'm obviously counting Tennessee. I'm not sure how you feel. I'm counting those as six wins right there. So they just have to g- get two more in conference, like maybe get Arkansas, maybe Mississippi State. I think uh, maybe Auburn. I think this team easily wins. Ah, Maybe not easily. I think this is definitely an 8-4 team. And I could even see them being a 9-3 and three team. Okay. I, I mean, they could
1: win the West. Like, if things go right, they could win the West.
2: They can't. They can't win the West. Like, they can. The offense is great, but this defense gave up so many points. Like, you can't just – you. it's just not sustainable to score 48 points every game. Like,
1: Well, I mean, that's giving- why you have DJ Durkin, right, and Chris Partridge, like, to fix that a little bit. If they had Zach Arnett calling the defense, things might be really cooking there. Um, I think they're a dark horse. I'm not saying that they're the favorite. I'm saying there's like a – If you play this SEC season 25 times, Ole Miss wins the West like once or twice.
2: Maybe you played 100 times.
1: I think that's too high. I think the (laughs) offense could be that good. Like if the offense is that special, potentially, um, I don't know. It
2: could be, but they also were 118th in the country in scoring defense last year. That's what I'm
1: saying. That's why I'm not saying they're the favorite. I'm saying that uh, they improve a little bit and the offense stays elite, then it's a possibility. Last team as we wrap up here had almost
2: eighty plays a game last year.
1: Incredible. Texas A&M yes. Haynes King just won the quarterback job over Zach Calzada, um, replacing a lot on the offensive line. A lot return almost everybody on defense. The defense is going to be elite under Mike Elko. Jimbo is twenty six and ten in three years there. He's hundred and nine and thirty three all times a coach. He's quiet. Jimbo's a quietly elite elite college football coach um so when aggie's I fans agree. get a li- huh
2: i agree with that and that's when, what i always say yeah. when 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 jimbo's at a kirby on these lists i don't argue but when they do lincoln riley and ryan day that's when <laughs> i start arguing mm. but please continue
1: i i'm excited about this group i think they're they're gonna be really good i think it's really gonna depend on haynes king what we get out of him this year um because that offense was great but one of the things I like most about Texas and M, they're very balanced. And like when we talk about Ole Miss, Mississippi State, even Bama a little bit, um, Tennessee is not going to balanced, like Florida's question marks with Grantham. Not a lot of balance there. There's a lot of balance in Aggie country. There's a lot of balance. They're they're twelfth in offense last year in offensive efficiency. They were twenty third in offensive or defensive efficiency. In explosive plays, they were twenty fifth as an offensive unit, and they gave up. 37th ranked on defense. Um the defense was 10th in field position, 32nd in offense. Um in scoring nationally, they were 37th. Scoring defense nationally, they're 28th. Um second best rush defense in football last year. Schedule's nice. They went 9 and 1. Could make the case that they were a football playoff team. daryl Dickey's been an upgrade at OC since getting the job a little while ago. I am I'm high on them, but One of the things that's interesting about Texas A&M, because we talked about this with Kirby in this year, if you're A&M and Jimbo, there's a year to do it. This is the year. It's like, it kind of stinks that they didn't get one more year from Mond. Just one more year. Um, Because this is the kind of year if you have a veteran quarterback like Mond, you're like, oh, this schedule's nice. Bama at home, Auburn at home. like Everything is like a week out of conference schedule. Texas A&M, I think, here we go. This is how we wrap up. They're the favorites in the West. If they don't win the West this year, I'm concerned if they ever will in the Jimbo era.
2: I uh, I do agree with that. I think you know the way people kind of talk about Georgia, like this being the year. If they don't get done this year, they never will. Like I don't really subscribe to that. I think if they don't get it done this year, they're going to be one of the favorites the next year and probably the year after. A and M really does feel like okay. Alabama is. You know, not down, but they're susceptible, and you got to do it right now because next year they're probably going to be a machine again. So, yeah, like you said, I, this is who I think is the best running back in the SEC. I think Isaiah Spiller, in my opinion, I think just dude's a beast. And like I, when I first saw his height and weight, like I saw his height and weight after I saw him play, and he these those are like six one, like two thirty. Like, this dude does not look 230. Like, he just, he almost looks like a speed back, and he's got that power. I think he's he's the best running back in the SEC, and I think that's kind of what I was saying about Georgia. When people talk offense, they talk passing the ball, and that's just, that's half of playing offense. I think being balanced and running the ball is still important. It is not obsolete in today's college football, and I think – a and is going to be able to pass the ball well. They're going to be able to run the ball well. 9.5 is the over-under on them. I'm definitely going over. Like you said, I think this could be – I personally lean toward being a 10-2 and two team. But, yeah, like looking at the schedule, you could definitely make the case for this being an 11-1 and one team. And if they're 11-1 and one and they beat Bama, they're, they're, uh, they're SEC West champs. So they've, they've yet to make it to Atlanta uh, since joining the SEC – I think this is probably the best year to do it. Yeah. So what What was the over-under? But I'm still not taking them. You're you're actually taking them to, to get to Atlanta.
1: What is the nine, over-under?
2: Nine and a half.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lock that in, even if they don't. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Hmm. All right, Matt Green. So our final picks on the SEC. Do you have Georgia winning it all against Bama in the SEC championship game? Is that how we, you see an ending?
2: I think so. I think, uh, I think this is the year Georgia gets past Alabama, wins the SEC.
1: Give me Florida A&M. Florida A&M?
2: Are they in the SEC now? The Rattlers?
1: Yeah, the Rattlers. No, give me Florida oh, A&M. Sh- and a rematch of a very fun game last year that Florida got upset in and changed the entire national title projection. Florida
2: A&M them. is not what people are expecting. In, in Atlanta this year. That that would definitely be like a little out of left field. Like it's just like the second best team in each conference or in each side kind of according to predictions, but it would feel like pretty random, right? If we saw Florida and A&M, that would just kind of like that matchup would kind of shock people. I have a question for you. Hypothetically if you're a Georgia fan, do you want Alabama to be undefeated in the SEC championship, say alabama georgia SEC championship? Would you prefer Alabama be undefeated, or you or would you prefer they have one loss if you're a Chase Thomas-Georgia fan?
1: Uh, I would rather them be undefeated. Why is that? I think there's more pressure there. I will always think there's more pressure, like they figured some stuff out. And I'm also not wanting Nick to put a position where Nick Saban's faced with two losses. A regular season basically
2: no but i'm saying that you're in the sec championship mm-hmm. so you're either facing a 12 and 0 alabama team or you're facing an 11 and one. yeah
1: that's alabama. what i'm saying i would rather them be undefeated going into the game instead of them facing a potentially two loss season
2: i think i think a lot of georgia fans feel like they want to be the ones that take down say even in alabama you know like but that 2017 SEC Championship, I, obviously it means less when she lost to Bama in the playoff, but that, that still meant something. The fact that Bama didn't get to the SEC Championship that year, you know, it's no skin off Georgia's back. They just play who was who in front of them. My thing is, from a Georgia perspective, I do see the intangible aspect of like, yeah, I want to knock them off the top. But if if Georgia beats Alabama in the SC championship and say maybe maybe Georgia lost to Clemson and Georgia's twelve and one and Alabama's twelve and one, they're getting in the damn playoff. So I want Alabama to get tripped up and lose their regular season game, so that if Georgia beats Alabama, we're knocking them out completely and we don't have to play them again in the playoff. Because I just don't like anyone's chances of beating Nick Saban a Nick Saban coach team twice.
1: Yeah. All right, Matt Green. But I want to
2: I want to dial it back real quick. Mm-hmm. Auburn was seven and a half. Did you say over or under on them? Uh, over. Okay. Um, I got them locked in, man. We're this will be fun to revisit this at the end of the year. Shout See out to did.
1: Zeus and Maddox.
2: No doubt, really, uh, really team players here.
1: Two hours helping almost, out, and they were good. Out. there you go. I like it. I like it. Uh, actually, Matt Green. Since you're on dog duty, you know what I need from you by tomorrow. Picture. Oh man, we need Illinois this. home dog of the week. You got to get the Illinois picture with the dog.
2: Oh, so true. It is the home dog of the week. Good call.
1: Great call. That's your assignment. Send that over. Get them on social. Turn them into social stars. Tori will be a fan. Will be my guess. Without a doubt. I'm I'm ready for it. Ready for the content. Um, I'm ready to rock. Another season with you, man. It's going to be a lot of fun this fall. We can follow you on Twitter at Matt underscore W underscore green. Don't forget, folks, with college football kicking off this weekend, we will be going um, because there's only a few games. We're not going to start the Sunday morning recap because there's not going to be a lot to recap. But starting with week one next week. So next this upcoming Sunday will be the last Sunday. We did not do a show recapping the college football season already informed the girlfriend that I am not available on the weekends anymore. For several months, <laughs> so that's uh, that's gonna be good. But um, yeah, it's I'm excited. You gotta
2: you got an indoctrinator, man. Well, I mean, yeah, I
1: will. Like, bring she's, her she's into a, that Tennessee football. Uh, she is for that. Yes, absolutely. It's just more of like the weekend. So we gotta we gotta pick our spots. That's what we're gonna we've, have the
2: the tradition we've started because. Mm-hmm. When Christmas comes around, everyone wants to buy people Georgia stuff, you know, and then mm-hmm. it's like you get you get you get stuff in December. And the season starts in September, you know, that new shit comes out, you know what I mean? So Friday before the season kicks off is dogmas in our household. <laughs> get someone some new tight
1: Georgia gear. Is it just some you and your girlfriend the, or the is it friend? the whole family?
2: We're doing it just to us and then it's gonna it's gonna catch on and the whole fam's gonna do it. But um yeah. Yeah, right now it's just get, get some new. I got, I got, already got a few things, you know, for the, the Georgia season, some fresh items. So uh, I got to start things off right. All right. So you call it Volmus or something for you. I don't know how, I don't know if that has the same ring to it, but, uh,
1: you know, you can, you throw it out there. Yeah, there you go. Matt Green, we can find you on Twitter. As I said, Matt underscore W underscore Green. If you like listening to Matt and I, we will be on every Sunday and Thursday on this college football feed, college football previews, college football analysis. And you know, I've got college football beat writers and coaches and all that kind of stuff appearing on the pod throughout the week. But yeah, just subscribe to this feed on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and you'll get all kinds of great college football content this fall. Very excited. Matt Green, send me that Instagram. Talk to you soon. Yes, sir. All right. The Thursday edition of the Chase Ones podcast rolls along where I am now joined by someone who covers the AFC East favorites, which is just weird to think about with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, But that is where we are. A different change of the guard. Sal Capaccio is here. Sal, good afternoon, sir. How are you?
0: I'm good. Thanks for having me, Chase.
1: Is it weird now to just get like back-to-back seasons now where the Bills are just winning double-digit games, being the cream of the crop in the AFC East, just being so well-built on both sides of the ball where it's just like, oh, the Bills are just going to be good now. Is that Has that registered for you and a lot of fans where it's like, oh, we're, we're just going to be good now?
0: Yeah, you know, I think that we're finally kind of coming around to it because, you know, we've seen this build. We've been here watching this happen since 2017 when Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean arrived. And it's really been, you know, through a process throughout. Not to use Sean's word, he uses that word a lot. But, you know, so I don't think from that aspect, you know, it's quite a surprise. It's always kind of been that gradual climb. But I think what's happening is there's, there's apprehension to buy completely in because it's like fans are thinking the rug's going to p- get pulled out from them at some point. You know what I mean? Because they just they can't believe that it's real that this team could – Actually, be really good for a long time, and I think they can. They, they have the makings to do that, and they feel like, oh my god, we better strike this year because this isn't going to be. The who knows when the window closes? Which is true, but I think this window is going to be open for a little while.
1: Absolutely, I think I think it is too. Um, what can you tell us? Like you know, we were talking before we get started about uh, just everything going on in uh, camp today. What what is going on with Beasley and McKenzie?
0: Yeah, so Isaiah McKenzie and Cole Beasley were both fined by the NFL for violating the league. Protocols on mask wearing inside the facility. Um, so Isaiah McKenzie went to Twitter and he posted a letter. You know Cole Beasley, who's been a very outspoken player, as you know, on mm-hmm. the entire COVID and vaccination issue. Um, he also went to Twitter and gave some thoughts, and that's kind of created this kind of big firestorm. And we've had this in Buffalo here since maybe April when everything started and all the protocols started coming out. And Cole Beasley was very, you know, aggressive on social media talking about it, even saying that you know he would retire before having to you know, being forced to do something like this. So, you know, it's just been a story. And then, you know, it happens on a day where we had Sean McDermott as our media availability. He speaks to us a couple times a week. So, you know, obviously those are the questions directed at him. And, you know, to be honest with you, Chase, like I would love to sit here and just talk football all day, right? I, I mean, mm-hmm. that would be perfect. And, But I can't because this is the reality of the situation. COVID, vaccines, there, there's literally rules in the league right now that could cause a team to lose a game, because of this stuff, so therefore it is a big issue and we have to talk about it.
1: I mean, we're gonna see that for sure. And I forgot where I read this piece, uh I think it was I want to say it was SI, um, that highlighted that there's just going to be this advantage where like we're we're not ready for this, but because the quarter I think it's actually the New York Times I read it last night, um, on the quarterback situation where the it's just it's one thing to have your fourth wide out, not be vaccinated and miss a game or two it's a different thing entirely when you're in a playoff chase and your quarterbacks also uh, unvaccinated and could be pulled for two weeks during in a critical stretch run like that. It seems like there are enough unvaccinated quarterbacks that that is going to be something like we have cam. Um, I don't know if we know about Josh Allen for sure. Do we know?
0: Um. No, I. I, I wouldn't. I would. I don't know.
1: Yeah, we don't know about I, I him. We know Kirk Cousins
0: is just because of you know mm. how how things have been acting. But I don't want to you know go on record and say I know for right. sure he is or he isn't. But it just seems like he is. You know the bottom line here though is you know this happened in Buffalo this week, which is
2: mm.
0: four players were sent home because they were close contacts. And what's what's really happened is it's become a story about the double standard, if you will, of the league and how this is being played out. Because the person who had COVID in the building was vaccinated. It was a staff member who was vaccinated. But because the unvaccinated players were in close contact, they had to be sent home for five days, even though every one of them actually tested negative. So this is part of the issue. But the NFL and the NFLPA agreed to these protocols. And really what's happening is the NFL is making it super punitive if you are not vaccinated. They just want all the players vaccinated. And we can all sit here and argue about that until we're blue in the face. We can all take sides and say that's wrong, that's right, yes vaccine, no vaccine, all that kind of stuff. Bottom line is, though, it's the rules. And that's a, this is what the Bills are dealing with and what even the Dallas Cowboys dealt with a little bit earlier this week.
1: Yeah, and I don't think it's going anywhere, like you said. It would be great to just talk football all the time. but We, we just can't, and I think it's just going to be a, a big thing all fall. Um, how good can Josh Allen be in year three? What can he improve on from last year? What are, you, what are you looking for out of him to see a different jump this year?
0: You know, he checked a lot of boxes last year, right? I mean, Josh had this incredible leap, he was second in league MVP voting in such a tremendous year. He broke all sorts of records. You know, Josh is very in tune and dialed into all the little minute things that he needs to improve his game last year, going into the year, it was accuracy on the deep ball. And he really got back to that. Like, I mean, got to it. I mean, he, he last year, the year before that, he just couldn't complete a deep pass. He had this incredible arm, but last year he was money on those deep balls. And this year, what he said, what he's working on, there's a certain, there's a certain route. It's an in-cut route, maybe about 10, 15 yards downfield. I think he said receiver going from his right to left, how he has his feet, how he has his mechanics, how he rotates his hips. Like that's how dialed in he is to trying to work on those things. So I think that's one thing, you know, because he said it, you know, that's something he's working on. But I think I'll also say still ball security, you know, Josh hasn't been the most careful with the football. He's always trying to make a play. And I'm not talking about throwing interceptions. I'm talking about fumbles, right? He's out in the open space, doesn't protect the ball well enough. He tries to make a play. Someone knocks it out of his hands. I think that's something he still has to improve on. He's always a been among the league leaders in fumbles uh, since he came into the league and then just a little bit more consistency maybe where he's played at such a high level he really did last year and this is it's hard to knock him for this but at times there would be there would be moments against certain teams where he just wouldn't be as consistent and you needed to make a play and i think he needs to he needs to make that play in the big moment and be a little bit more consistent in those times
1: what do you enjoy most about covering josh allen what what is the most likable aspect to him as a quarterback and a leader of this team
0: He's a freak, and I'm on the field with him every Sunday, <laughs> and I get to watch it up close and personal. I'm the sideline reporter on the Bills radio network. I get to stand and watch these NFL players do their thing. It's a, it's an incredible job. It's incredible to watch them play, whether that's Josh Allen or anybody else. I mean, I've been on the field many times with Tom Brady and Philip Rivers and Ben Roethlisberger, whoever, and all they're, they're all incredible at, at, in their own way. And that's to me what it is. You know, you watch Josh. Here is this. You know, he's a six foot. Four or six foot five, whatever he's listed at. He's he's an incredible athlete for his size. He has this amazing arm. A few years ago, his rookie year, I believe it was, Josh Allen threw the farthest ball I've ever seen thrown on a football field. And I've played football my whole life. I coached high school football in Florida for ten years. I've been covering the NFL professionally for the last ten years. And he threw the farthest football I've ever seen in my entire life. And I just it's incredible when you see that and you're right down there, especially coming from a guy who not only can do that but can also basically run around you over you through you and run away from you
1: yeah he's just a he's a physical physical freak do you think he thinks about mahomes a lot in the comparisons does that does he concern himself with that
0: oh i think privately he'd like to be considered better i think he'd mm-hmm. like to be considered you know the the top dog yeah um I don't think he concerns himself on a daily basis with, I got to catch Patrick Mahomes. No, yeah. I think when people bring it up, who's got a stronger arm, you know, he, he has fun with it. He's willing to engage in it and say, yeah, you know, we should have a throw off and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I, I would say there's no way Josh isn't, he's, I know he's so competitive. Mm-hmm. There's no way he doesn't think about it. And he wants to be the best player in the game.
1: What do you, what do you pick up on the sidelines that you would not pick up anywhere else? What are, what are the, the, the cool nuggets that you get to see uh, up close. You, you spoke to it a little bit with Brady and Allen, but like, what, do you, what have you noticed? What, kind of, what helps you with the view that you get every Sunday?
0: The interaction that goes on between the players and the coaches. Uh, what they're talking about, what they're looking at. You know, I, In my role, I can't get like inside the huddle, of course. I can't be right behind the bench. But you get to see who, get, who, who interacts with who. And, you know, if, there's a, if there's a mistake on a play, if there's a turnover, when that player comes off the bench, who do they go to? Who's their first contact? How do they start interacting with each other? What's that conversation like? I can't hear it, you know, because it's so loud, but I can see what's going on. You know, I think that really gives you insight into an operation of a football team. You know, where? how are we going to fix this? Who are you going to talk to? Okay, well, let's, let's bring the pad over and, you know, bring the other quarterbacks over, the other positions. Um, which, which coach am I talking to? I think all of those things are interesting and fascinating. And look, I mean, this is my fourth head coach regime. Um, going back to Chan Gailey, Doug Marone, I've actually sidelines three, Doug Marone, uh, Rex Ryan, and now Sean McDermott. And I covered Changulay, I wasn't on the sidelines at the time. And they're all different in this regard of what I'm talking about, right? I mean, they all have their different operation of how everything works on the sideline. And, you know, with Sean and, and the way the bills are operated, it's such a streamlined process. It really is. Like, there's nothing that isn't taken care of. There is no detail that isn't buttoned up. That was not the case with Rex Ryan. Rex Ryan was not... He's 180 from Sean McDermott. There was, a, there was a, I'll give an example. The last, Rex Ryan's last game he coached for the Bills was an overtime loss to the Miami Dolphins. In overtime, there was an injury, and Rex didn't know that the player injured didn't go back in the game and they only had 10 players on the field because <laughs> he didn't have the right communication set up between him and his training staff on the sidelines. And those are the kinds of things you see when you're down there and how all of that works.
1: You know what's crazy? I just forget that Rex Ryan was the Bills coach all the time like that just huh. that's just out of my mind you just said that and i was like i completely just spaced on rex ryan's time in buffalo like that just completely blindsided of me and i like to believe I'd... a lot
0: of people would like to forget it here believe me I,
1: I i can imagine i can imagine um how good is this defense going to be in 2021
0: i think it'll be, be back to maybe not the level they were a couple of years ago mm-hmm. overall better than last year they took a pretty big dip last year and a big reason was because they didn't have OTAs mini camp preseason this defense is really predicated upon everyone doing their job Um, it's the sum is greater than the parts everyone's got to know their job they need the reps they need to understand what everybody's role is and you only get that through having that time together and they didn't have that time together last year and I think it hurt them a lot especially in the first half of the year and so they kind of got acclimated so I think the biggest difference will be that they get started with back he opted out last year. He's he's a big difference in the middle as far as stopping the run. That will allow everybody else to do their jobs better. At Oliver next to him, who won't get double teamed as much, and then mainly Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano, who won't have to take on as many blockers and can do their jobs as linebackers. So I think that that will be the number one thing. They'll they'll be better overall. But you know teams are teams have to play the Bills differently now. They know the Bills can score thirty five forty points a game really. So they're gonna attack they're gonna attack the defense. And I think because of that, you won't see as many maybe. You'll probably see you know some points given up more than you did a couple of years ago because teams just have to play differently and be more aggressive against them.
1: Levi Wallace is he just gonna continually be everybody that they bring in to compete with him in one of the corner spots? Is he just gonna be the corner yeah, in Buffalo think so. forever? I think so.
0: He's hurt right now. Actually, he's hurt right now. He wasn't at practice. I mean, oh he was no, jogging around. I yeah, I think I think he's gonna be okay. We'll see. He was jogging today, but he wasn't practicing. He hasn't practiced in a little while. So um, you know they're going through some injuries right now, but <clears throat> the guy he's battling with Dane Jackson's also been injured. They're they're actually down a few corners right now. And yeah, I think to answer your question, you know, Levi has he's taken on all covers. And in order to beat him, you have to beat him out. And I haven't seen that from Dane Jackson or anybody else. And sometimes Levi has to platoon throughout the year, but it's a great stat with Levi, I remind people. Levi Wallace has played thirty five NFL games since he, he was an undrafted free agent. Mm-hmm. He got activated to the roster midway through his rookie year. He's played thirty five NFL games. He started all thirty five of them. He has never been a backup in this league since taking since actually
1: on a roster. He's a he's just a great story. He's a great story, and I like reading the quotes from Bean about him, where I think Bean like mentioned at one point this offseason, I'm like, "Yeah, we keep bringing in people to compete with him, and he just keeps beating him yeah. out." Um, this front seven, though, a lot of a lot of attention on Edmonds, obviously and Milano and the Leibach and corps, but Espinenza, You have Boogie Basham. You have Rousseau. You have all this talent now on the defensive line. Who are you most excited about and who is has who shown the most? You mentioned Star Lutulele inside, but outside, who who stands out? Who who are you most excited about seeing?
0: Greg Rousseau, their number one pick, number thirty overall. Um I'll say right now as I sit here, I was wrong. What I said about Greg Rousseau when he was drafted, along with many other people, was you know, he's raw, maybe a red shirt year. He'll hopefully have a little bit of impact here or there, but really this is more this kid. I was wrong. He has he has acclimated to the NFL game very quickly. He's understood how to use his length, his hands, his leverage. He's made impact plays, the third play of his professional career, a preseason game um, in Detroit against number seven overall pick, Penny Sewell, and he got around him for a sack. And I, he, every day in practice, at least once, his length shows up where he impacts the play, whether he sacks the quarterback, knocks down a pass, forces the quarterback to move out of the pocket. He impacts it because of his length. I'm super excited to see this kid play. I think he's got a really good future, but that future is actually a lot more immediate than a lot of us thought it would be.
1: Interesting. Uh, I'm excited to see this front seven. It's, it's going to be so much fun to watch on this Buffalo side of things. Uh, how is Emmanuel Sanders working out?
0: You know, he he was banged up a little bit. He missed about a week and a half of practice. He's been out there uh, lately a little bit more. Um, he looks good. He's got a good repertoire with Josh Allen already. I think they, um, they complement each other really well. You know, the Bills have... If I, do I want to say, like, an embarrassment of riches right now at weapons and wide receiver? I mean, now, granted, Isaiah McKenzie's out, and he's also hurt, aside from the fine we talked about. Cole Beasley, because he's on the COVID list. Stefan Diggs hasn't practiced in a while. He's been, he's been injured. He actually did practice the last couple of days. So, you know, they're getting down there, but, man, they have depth, and they have guys. And Emmanuel Sanders fits that, and Gabriel Davis is there, Jake Kummer is there. It's crazy. So I think Emmanuel is one of these guys, you know, one-to-one trade, kind of. They, allowed, they, allowed, they cut John Brown. And he went to Las Vegas and then they brought in Emmanuel Sanders and they're going to lose some of the top-end speed John Brown brought But what they get in Emmanuel Sanders is a guy who's a little more physical a little better with the ball in his hands and He's a great route runner. He knows how to sit in zones and find open spaces And I think that's where he's gonna help Josh where Josh He's kind of he's gonna be like a, a tight end if you will where he's gonna be an outlet receiver for him When he needs to find a guy sitting mm-hmm. in his zone and becoming available
1: um, Biggest riser from the preseason thus far for you and the biggest faller for you.
0: Biggest riser. Um I would say Reggie Gilliam, hmm. uh, fullback, came to the Bills last year as an undrafted free agent fullback. They moved him to tight end and then and he played there last year as a tight I end mean, he's listed as a tight end, but he lined up at fullback, tight end H back stuff. And then he actually showed up this year and they switched his number again to 41, and he's now a fullback again, and they're using him in a whole different way way of uh, roles. And he um, he's like a Swiss Army knife, basically. And he actually had to even play tailback last week in the preseason game to close it out because they had injuries. And, I, and he's a special teams player. I think this kid's got. He made the roster last year. It's going to be even harder to make it this year, but I think he will. And I think he's I think he's a guy they plan on using in a lot of different ways, you know, on special teams. Um, biggest faller. You know, it's tough to say it that way. But I'm going to go back to what I said about Rousseau and use the other guy. The guy that we thought would come in and be more impactful was Boogie Basham. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen that impact yet. I think Boogie's going to be fine, but I thought he'd be more of an impact right away. Um, You know, when he stepped on the field, more than Greg Rousseau would be. And it's actually been the opposite. And I think Boogie's, Boogie's going to find his way and he'll be fine. But I think Boogie still is figuring out the nuances of some things that go along with playing, you know, playing at the NFL level. Whereas I thought he would be the one that wouldn't do that and Greg Rousseau would.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Um, when you when you look at the biggest weakness heading into 2021, the biggest weakness that will prevent Buffalo from repeating as AFC East champions is what?
0: Well, let's hope it's not this COVID stuff because that mm. could really could be what it is. I mean, let's hope that, you know, when we sit here today, four guys got sent home this week. What if this was a game week, right? What if this was a big game against Kansas City or Tennessee and, you know, seeds were riding on the line. What was the playoff game? That, that really could be the thing that derails them. I mean, you know, obviously, nobody's hoping for that to happen. Injuries could derail them. This is, a, this is the best roster. I've been following this team since I was a kid. I grew up through the Super Bowl years. I went through the drought. I will tell you, this is the best roster the Buffalo Bills have had since the Super Bowl years. This team is ready to contend for a Super Bowl championship. Sounds weird to say, but it's true. They are deep everywhere. Um, their number one concern that they addressed in the offseason was pass rush. That's why they drafted Greg Russo. They drafted Boogie Basham. They drafted A.J. Epinesa the year before that. Um, he's now going to be counted on to have a bigger role. And um, they went out and signed F.A. Obata, who's, I think he's had a great camp, plays inside, outside, can do a lot. But that's the biggest weakness, if you will, that they felt they had to address. But I think the only thing that can really derail them from being in the AFC Championship game, at least, would be either A, injuries, or B, a COVID situation.
1: Hmm. Last thing, and we'll wrap up here. When you look at the schedule, when you look at this group, the roster right now, what do you, what do you see for Buffalo in twenty twenty one.
0: Well, they're going to contend with the Kansas City Chiefs for the AFC. Now okay. do they get home field? Do they not? I think that's where it comes down to. I, I would be surprised if the Bills didn't win the AFC East. I mean, I you know, obviously we could talk about New England and having Belichick and that deserves respect. And we could talk about Miami and what they're building there and the players they brought in, but you know, what what's the quarterback situation? I get it. But the Bills are the favorites in the AFC East, like you said at the open here, for a reason. They should be. They, none of those other teams has Josh Allen, I'll first say that. And they don't have the roster the Buffalo Bills have. And I think Sean McDermott's a, a terrific coach. This is going to come down to where a game's going to be played in January. The Bills, are they going to be the number one seed and the Kansas City Chiefs have to come to Buffalo to get to the Super Bowl? Or are the Bills going to have to go back to Kansas City? Or is another team going to step up? Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Tennessee, whoever it is. And if the road to the Super Bowl goes through Orchard Park, New York, then the Bills are going to the Super Bowl
1: interesting okay i i'm there i i'm pretty high on the dolphins i i think but it, like you said it all really comes down to tua and what we've seen from the preseason thus far it's gonna be good but i also just i would like to see a healthy good tua because tua versus um josh allen be fun i like more competent quarterback play and i think it'd be fun to see the dolphins and the bills go out at the top of the afc east and be a nice little change base and also zach wilson wow,
0: that would be uh that would be bringing me back to my youth because it was Dolphins and Bills and Kelly and Marino and Shula and Marv Levy going at it right. on a yearly basis for AFC East supremacy. And um, I, I will tell you, if you're, if you're my age and I'm um, in my 40s, mm-hmm. uh, close to 50 now, if you're anyone my age, you remember that golden era of Bills-Dolphins football very well. And that's why the Miami Dolphins are still the number one rival. If you're, if you're a younger generational Bills fan, then it's the, it's the New England Patriots because of their domination over the Bills over the last 20 years.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's weird that I'm—I'm I'm obviously not a Bills guy, but I do. The, the, the lasting memory is me sitting after uh, church with the family. Um, I have this distinct memory of the the debacle uh, at home with Drew Bledsoe against uh, against the the Pats. Pittsburgh. Yeah, with uh, lawyer Malloy oh, yes. and everything. Like oh, I re- oh, that one. Yeah, thirty-one, yeah. nothing. Thirty-one, yes. nothing. Yeah,
0: the opening game. Opening yes. game. Absolutely, it was that was incredible. No doubt about it. And then the funny part about that season was. They beat the Patriots 31 nothing to start the year. They go on mm-hmm. a roll, and then they kind of have, eh, And then at the end of the year, they lose 31 nothing at New England.
1: Yeah. It's not good. But also those uniforms, thank goodness. Those are gone forever. Ah. Those uniforms, I don't know who okayed that, but, like, the Bills uniforms are delightful. <laughs> and they, they went to those, Navy, it was, what a, an atrocious era for uniforms in Buffalo. So I'm glad those are gone. Uh, Sal, how do we keep up with you and your great work on the Bills radio network this week?
0: Um, I'm always on Twitter, mostly at Sal Sports on Twitter. It's super easy. I got that name a long time ago, so luckily you know, I got to keep it. So it's at Sal Sports on Twitter. Um, WGR 550, uh, we're part of the Odyssey family. It's Odyssey has a great app. We have tons of podcasts. I have a podcast. You can always listen to all of our great content, WGR Sports Radio 550. We are the flagship station uh, for the Bills. And, of course, when the team is playing on game day, I'll be down on the sidelines giving you reports on what's going on.
1: There you go. Keep up the great work, sir. Enjoy this season. Um, I appreciate you making the time today. This This was great. Sal, thank you so much. Have fun this year.
0: All right. Thank you very much, Chase. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah.